Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coming up this morning, the Jazz win again. Will they ever lose at home again? They lost their first two home games. Haven't lost since. Beat Memphis twice, Friday and Saturday. Did a better job of closing out Saturday than Friday. It's not every night that you see a team win a game on a jump ball. I don't know that I've ever seen that before. But now I've seen it. So we got that coming up for you uh, later this hour. Also, the Utes hire a basketball coach, Craig Smith, the Aggies basketball coach. Not the first time, and Aggies left for another job in-state, if you go back to Liddell Anderson. But still, uh, we got a lot of you commenting on Facebook about what you think about that hire. You'll hear from Craig Smith and Mark Harlan coming up in just a few minutes. You can start with Zach Wilson, his pro day on Friday, and then his throw going viral as he rolls left to the hash mark and throws across his body off balance 50 yards downfield in the middle of the field on the money. It was an impressive throw. Everybody was oohing and on, but it's just also his poise, you know, talking about his future as well. Let's listen to Zach Wilson here as he gets grilled about going to the NFL and probably the Jets because he is now a consensus number two pick. Last night on Talking Sports, we showed you a half dozen mock drafts, uh, Fox, ESPN, um, uh I can't even remember all the websites we went to. Oh, CBS, uh, Pro Football Focus. Uh, there, there were a ton of them, a half dozen of them. They all, every single one, had him going number two to the Jets. Here's Zach Wilson. Zach, uh, what do you feel is uh, going through this this draft process? What has maybe separated you, you think, from potentially other quarterback proce- prospects in this process? Yeah, there's a lot of good ones, you know, for sure. Uh, this draft is is full of, of good players. Uh, a lot of good, a lot of good quarterbacks I've worked with out in California as well. Uh, you know, something I feel like that separates me is, uh, you know, just my passion for the game. Uh, I really, I really put a lot of time into what I do, and uh, you know, throughout all the all the years and stuff, you know, I've really just you know dedicated my life to football. You know, it's really it's crazy. You know, when people try to ask me what I do outside of football, you know, football is really my life. You know, it's like it's like everything I got going on. So. Uh, somebody that can extend plays, somebody that can make something happen uh, outside of the offense when things break down is, is something I, I take a lot of pride in. How would you assess, what was your best pass today in your opinion? Uh, yeah, we we, uh, we drilled a good one, a high corner to Leva. We hit a, a corner post to Leva as well down the middle. Uh, two that came off pretty well. Um, you know, missed a couple too many balls on the ground. You know, things I got to clean up, so. Zach, talk about today. I know you only threw, but what was it like watching all your boys compete and, and being out there in front of all the scouts with all the attention and, and everything? What was it like being out there? Yeah, so happy for these guys, man. They're all living out their dreams, and, uh, you know, you can definitely tell they all put in the work. We had some crazy numbers today. Um, guys did some some awesome, awesome things that I know scouts are going to be all over. And so, uh, you know, it's great to be out here with them one last time, you know, kind of flashback of all those memories when you pull up t- to BYU. But, you know, super proud of those guys and everything that they've worked for. You know, they made me want to go out there and run my 40. How much, how nice is it to be able to draw more eyes because of all the attention you're getting that hopefully maybe those eyes will also see those guys? Yeah, most definitely. You know, that, that was one thing I think was a huge advantage for those guys is is to get them in front of some big time teams and hope that, you know, those guys would give them a, a chance and look at those guys and see what skills they have and and see, you know, that's the reason for a lot of my success at BYU was, you know, I had some great players around me. Let's go to uh, Rich Semini next and then Brian Costello. Hey, Zach. Uh, thanks for the time. Um, out here in New York, there's a lot of intrigue, uh, them holding the second pick in the draft. I'm curious, 
We saw on TV you had a, a quick moment to chat with their general manager, Joe Douglas, afterwards, if you could just tell us that that was like. And also, what kind of interaction virtually, I assume, have you had with them during this entire process? And how's, and how's it going? Yeah, great staff. Love those guys. And, you know, Joe Douglas is a great guy and it was, you know, good to see him out here and, um, you know, they got a good thing going and, uh, you know, my, my zoom interactions with them has just kind of been like any other team, you know, trying to go through and, and, you know, they just try and pick your brain, see what you're about, you know, the way you process things and all that kind of stuff. So it's been good. Hey, Zach, and another guy from New York here. Um, just curious, have you ever been to New York and what are your thoughts about, you know, possibly coming here uh, as a number two overall pick. Yeah, New York's a, it's a great spot. You know, I got family around that area and, um, you know, I've been there a couple of times. BYU used to do a, you know, a foundation out there. So uh, we were able to, you know, go and visit and, you know, I'd be happy to play with any team that drafts me. Let's go to uh, Norma Gonzalez and then Jake Hatch. Hey, Zach, was there any, like, immediate feedback that you got today that you hadn't already heard or anything different? Um, I mean, I, I don't know what extent, I mean, you're, you're talking about, but, um, I mean, things have been good. Like, did you, did you surprise people in a different way? Did you show them something new or something they just hadn't realized? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the goal, the goal of today was to kind of show, you know, kind of what makes me different type of throws that I can make that, you know, I feel like other guys don't practice and don't try and don't try and do. So, I, you know, that was the goal of today was to, you know, be able to show what makes me different. And do you feel like your differences is what sort of makes you um, so highly coveted and like makes you so special as a quarterback? Yeah, I just think the the game of football is changing, especially the quarterback the quarterback position. You know, you want someone that's you know athletic and mobile in the pocket and and can make all the throws, but also extend and, and make things uh, from different angles and, and different things like that. So it was good to work some of that today. Zach, in terms of what you did today, do you feel like you went out and proved exactly what you had trained for in terms of your ability to make all the throws all over the field? Yeah, no doubt. You know, we had some that jumped. We had some, you know, some good ones, uh, you know, definitely some that I wish I just had back, you know, some, some ones I wish I could clean up, but um, you know, the, the goal of today is to, to solidify the film, to show, show coaches, you know, in person, what you're made of, you know, how the ball comes off the hand, how you move in the pocket, how you interact with the guy. So it was good to, to be able to, you know, get that stuff in. Go to John Kuhn and then Chrissy Freud. Zach, um, be, being fully healthy this past season, how much did that allow you to kind of to showcase the full extent of what you can do as a quarterback and, and, and put those things on film that, that you feel like the NFL scouts needed to see ahead of going into the draft? Yeah, no doubt. You know, that was why I did the shoulder surgery early on is, is just to show these teams that, you know, I get a couple years under my belt of playing, playing with a repaired shoulder and it feels great. You know, I have no issues. It's stronger than it was before. So, you know, I'm glad I got it done. And, and, you know, now coming out here, it's just showing these coaches, uh, you know, that swag to you, which are, which are all about. Zach, Joe Burrow is someone I've been told that you watch a lot of film on. Um, what have you specifically taken from that to apply to your game, and how often do you watch it? 
Yeah, I haven't watched any recently, you know, just because I'm transitioning into the NFL film and stuff, you know, but uh, he's definitely someone I'll be watching, you know, in the NFL now. Uh, but my my junior year last year, he was a huge part, you know, of, of my mental uh, success that I feel like I had the ability to, you know, throw the ball uh, into spots where, you know, maybe you think somebody's covered, but they're really open. You know, I really did a lot of studying in the way that he played the game. And, you know, I think he did it all the right way. He knew he knew exactly what he was doing on every play. He took what the defense gave him and he extended plays down the field. So. I learned a lot from what he did. Okay, our our last two questions. Apologies, we, we don't uh, have more time with Zach, but uh, let's go to, um, sorry, Jay Drew and then Dana Green. Hey, Zach, was the plan all along to just throw today to not do the vertical and some of those other things? We've heard you can dunk a basketball, kind of wanted to see your vertical. Yeah, you know, I thought about doing the vert. You know, I, I actually was training since January to do everything. Um, you know, tweaked my hammy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we didn't have a combine, so I didn't want to, you know, do everything on the pro day and, and not be able to throw. You know, that was the most important thing for me. So, uh, you know, the plan going in uh, to pro day was to do none of the, the running stuff. You know, I'm going to probably film down the road and make sure I get, you know, some of that just because it's, you know, it's tough watching these guys do their 40s and stuff and not be a part of it. Hey, Zach. Um, are you kind of the same guy that we were covering at Corner Canyon as a, you know, as a person, obviously you've grown physically, you've grown a little mentally, but the same guy who just loves football as much as you did in high school. And also um, you've worked so hard to get where you are, but so many people have helped you as well. Do you, have you thought about now that you're about to hit the big time, how you're going to give back to the people and maybe the communities that, uh, that have helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I've already had that thought process of what I can do to give back to, to Draper, to the, to the state of Utah. And, uh, you know, that's what you got to remember all from the beginning. You know, you got to have that passion and drive and love for the game just for the game. Uh, you know, there's a lot of distractions when you get to this level. And, uh, you know, for me, that's that's the number one priority is just keeping, you know, level-headed and, and being able to every day just have that chip on my shoulder to keep improving and getting better. How have you changed so much uh, since your days? What's your biggest change growing from high school to, to where you are now? Yeah, you know, you look back and I just think it's all a process. You know, you, you know, your, your development physically, mentally, uh, you know, when you put in the work, the cream always rises to the top. So, uh, you know, I just knew if I kept, kept doing what I could uh, to get better, that it would eventually come through. There is the apparently future jet, Zach Wilson. BYU you got a lot of pub out of that because there's so much interest in New York. Uh, there was a lot of ESPN program in the middle of the day that was showing a lot of video from BYU and that pro day. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, the Utes hire a new basketball coach. Stay with us. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280, The Zone. The youth search for a path to return to the glory days has taken them to Logan. Utah hiring Aggie basketball coach Craig Smith over the weekend. And, of course, he went to Utah State, and they were struggling a little bit, and that's why there was an opportunity. And he qualified him for the NCAA tournament three years in a row. They only got to play two games. They lost them both, obviously, the middle year with what I think was probably his best team. They didn't get a chance to win in the tournament because uh, 
you know, there was no tournament, unfortunately. And now Craig Smith is off to the University of Utah. Uh, he took the Aggies there three years in a row. The Utes have only been to the NCAA tournament three times in 15 years. There's been some slippage. Can he turn it around? Here's Craig Smith and Mark Harlan. Good morning to uh, the Utah fan base. Uh, good morning to everyone that cares deeply about Utah athletics and certainly Utah men's basketball. It's a historic day as I introduce Coach here in just a moment. I uh, also want to thank the media that is here. Um, you know, I just, just a couple things. Uh, this process uh, that has been ongoing for oh, about 12 days has been a phenomenal journey uh, to discover how, how many people care about Utah basketball. Um, I've always known that, but boy, have I felt that over this last period of time. I really want to thank uh, some key members of my staff who, who were on this journey with me, particularly Scott Cole, our Deputy Athletic Director, Charmel Green, our Chief Operating o- Officer, Lisa Boyan, who really runs the place uh, at, at Utah Athletics, uh, Paul Kirk, who is just incredible, and of course, Manny Hendricks. Uh, I know he's known for the shot to beat Finnis Dimbo, uh, but he performed incredibly as a key advisor, as did everybody else in this process. I also want to thank Steve Smith, our CFO, who uh, you know, stayed up late, late last night working on, working on the documents with Coach's team. So um, I also want to thank the incredible uh, candidates uh, that I spoke through throughout this process. Just incredible men in all different ways. Some of them were very prominent uh, alums of ours. Uh, who, as typical of a graduate of the University of Utah, have gone on to uh, incredible things in their career. Uh, special men, all of them, uh, and really, really appreciate their time and engagement in this process. And of course, lastly, I want to thank President Watkins, uh, who has always been an unbelievable leader uh, of this university and certainly of this athletic department. We know that she has a, a few short weeks left in her tenure, but just again, want to just say thank you to her and for her enormous guidance uh, in this process, and certainly our board of trustees, who were also very helpful uh, in all of this. So here we are, uh, the, the opportunity here to introduce our new leader uh, of, of the men's basketball program at the University of Utah. You know, I've had my eye on, on Craig Smith for, for a while. It's hard not to see the unbelievable success uh, that has gone on in Logan, Utah over these last few years. Um, you know, seeing them in the tournament, uh, these last three years has been an incredible achievement by coach and, and, and everybody up there. Um, just, just incredible work, but his work goes beyond that. It goes to the other stops along the way and everything that, that he's, that he's done. When I went out looking uh, for a coach, what I wanted first and foremost was someone that's passion uh, for mentoring and teaching young men, the ability to communicate at the very highest of levels and to develop deep, deep relationships you know, then we would talk about ball. That was really the, 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 the whole process for me. And boy, is this gentleman uh, have all those qualities and more, you know, people throughout the, the last few years talking about his success and how he did it. I think what I've learned at the end of the day, it's about Darcy. Did you agree to that? <laughs> There's no question. Uh, Darcy, who's on the other side of, of this Zoom and the incredible family that's here. So we've, we've learned the, the trick to that. Out kicking your coverage in this case, coach. Good recruiter. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's absolutely right. So it is with absolute uh, joy, pleasure, and honor uh, to introduce Coach Craig Smith as the new head men's basketball coach at the University of Utah. Coach? Thank you, Mark. Appreciate you. Uh, couldn't be more thrilled to be the men's basketball coach at the University of Utah. And thank you to Mark. Uh, just getting to know Mark, you know, his vision for our basketball program and certainly – 
what I've always believed in, uh, in terms of having a successful program, uh, we're very much aligned and tied at the hip of what we're trying to do. And, you know, I'm a history guy. So where we were, where we are and where we're going. And of course, this basketball program has one of the steepest traditions in all of college basketball. And, and, and our expectation is to win and win at the highest level and do it a certain way. And, you know, we were very fortunate to do some amazing things at Utah State. And I can't thank John Hartwell, the athletic director there, uh, enough for believing in me and, and uh, President Noel Cockett and all the people that supported us. It was an amazing journey for three years going to three straight NCAA tournaments. And, and, and now, you know, moving to Utah with, uh, with the rich tradition, like we, you know, I met with the players earlier um, today and like we told them, what, what don't we have in our program? You know, and, and we have the history, we have the facilities, we have an amazing support staff and we can go on and on and on and we can get into more details on that. But our family, I want to thank Darcy. Uh, Darcy and I celebrated our 25th anniversary last year. We're, um, she's never been to Hawaii and, and we were all set to go and then COVID hit. So she's been bothering me like, hey, we're we going to get to Hawaii this summer or not. But uh, we'll see how the recruiting process goes. But um, she's an amazing person. Um, we all know the things that our uh, wives have to go through, um, through this whole thing. My four amazing kids, Landon, uh, who's a uh, sophomore in college, Brady, a junior in high school, and of course, Carson, a ninth grader, and Lauren, our fifth grader. And we're all in this thing together. Uh, we can't wait to get rolling and roll up our sleeves. We're going to work our hands to the bone um, to put a fantastic winning uh, team on the floor. And, um, and we can't wait to get this journey started. Great. Thank you. We'll start the uh, questions now with Alex Vehar of the Salt Lake Tribune, followed by Trevor Allen of KSL Sports and Josh Furlong of KSL.com. Go ahead, Alex. Thanks. Uh, hi, Coach. Hi, uh, Mark. Thank you guys for doing this. Coach, congrats on the, uh, on the new gig. Um, Thank you, Alex. Alex, you're always the first guy to ask the question. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it probably won't happen so much with the Utah stuff, but anyway, um, the, uh, so I, see, I think, uh, a lot of people were kind of surprised, especially in Logan to, um, to hear the news this morning of, of your hire. Uh, can you just kind of take us through the last, you know, 48 hours or so of kind of how this process unfolded for you on your end? Well, I'm here, you know, and it's, uh, obviously you go through that process, um, uh, couldn't be more excited. I'm thrilled. Obviously, we had three tremendous years um, at Utah State and, and, and delivered on what we said we were going to do, you know, at Utah State. And, and, you know, Utah has always been known to be one of the best, like I said in the introductory statement, one of the best basketball programs in the country. And, um, you know, like I said, with the, I'm a history major and understanding that history. And, of course, like we've talked about many times, Alex, um, this state is such a, uh, an intelligent state when it comes to everything, but specifically the, the sport of men's basketball. They understand a great product. They deeply, deeply care um, about basketball. And, and, and um, it was just the right time for myself professionally and, and our family. And um, we, like I said, we can't wait to get rolling. Okay, next we'll go to Trevor Allen, kslsports.com, followed by Josh Furlong and John Kuhn. 
Hey, Craig, congrats. Um, I just Thank wanted to, to, to get your thoughts. I mean, I know that this is all new and it's all coming at you really, really fast. It's one of the first things is to uh, take a look at the roster. And I know that there's been two players who, who have entered the portal that were a key part of last year's team. Is that, is that going to be some conversations that you're going to have moving forward? Yeah. First of all, I'm excited about the roster. Uh, you know, obviously uh, any roster, and I've been down this road before a few different times, whether it's been an assistant coach or certainly as a head coach, you know, you got to, uh, I was up late last night watching film up early this morning, watching more film and just getting, trying to get a true feel for who we are and, and trying to identify, you know, understanding our personnel, what strengths do we have? How do we need to get better? Those types of things. And I'm still in that process. It's it, like you said, it's been fast and furious. Uh, I had a great meeting with the team um, earlier today. Um, just talk, just talking, you know, and, and showing empathy for, you know, just this year, it's been a long year for everybody with COVID and all that that entails, but also um, building relationships. That was the first step. I'll have individual meetings with every student athlete here shortly um, in the next few days, certainly the transfer um, portal, you know, it's not what I think it's up to 950 or over a thousand already. I haven't looked today, uh, which is twice as high as, as it was at this time a year ago, but the transfer portal and the transfer game has been a part of the game here. Um, specifically the last few years, certainly it's at a whole nother level this year. And, and that's part of it. And, you know, people have often asked, are you for it? Are you against it? And I, I've never had a strong feeling either way. I've always wanted guys in our program that are, are uh, that want to be here and that are fully invested and that are all in to making the University of Utah basketball the best that it can be. And I'm very confident in what we've done in our past, whether it's at Utah State or University of South Dakota or Mayville State as a head coach. And we've always taken over programs that, you know, maybe weren't, um, were kind of average or below average and been able to flip it and flip it quicker than people want. So, or quicker than people realize. And so I think we have a great nucleus. We'll negotiate through that and, and build relationships and talk expectations. And uh, I'll be able to convey to them what I see in them and how we think their role can expand or develop or how they can improve. And I think that's a constant everywhere we've been is our guys get better and they improve and, and we have a great time doing it. Our guys are going to have a great style of play. Um, they're going to have a great time while we're at it. We have a lot of fun, but we also know when to go to work. And, and I think that's a great balance to have. Next up is Josh Furlong, KSL.com, followed by John Kuhn of the Associated Press. Yeah, Mark, you talked about uh, having your eye on Craig early on. How important was it for you to be able to you know, move quickly with this hire, but and, and kind of have part of the NCAA tournament kind of looming a little bit at there to, to kind of frustrate that. But how, how, you know, how important was it to get that as well as especially as this being your first major coaching hire here at Utah? Well, I mean, as I said, the, the front side of this whole thing, we were, we were going to take the days and time that we needed to find the very best person. Um, and you know, that's, that's what we did. I, I mean, I never try to set a, a timetable because you have to, it's about the quality rather than the, you know, the quantity of time. So, you know, that's what we did. And, and like I said, in my opening statement, we certainly had unbelievable, uh, engagement in this program, which speaks to what coach is talking about, you know, top 15 all time and wins and everything that we've accomplished here through the various different coaching staffs through the years, incredible players. So, you know, there was a lot of, a lot of incredible interest, um, 
Now, that being said, you know, I, I also recognize that we have a, an incredible group of young men in this program that were anxious to, to meet their coach. And so, you know, when the decision was made, it was time to move. And, and that's what we were able to, to accomplish. And, uh, you know, for me, the greatest part of this whole process was when I introduced coach uh, to, to his team this morning and I stepped away. And, you know, and I just, you know, I, I, you were in there for quite some time, actually. And I, I just, it just was very gratifying for me because I know that these young men have been, it's a very anxious time for, for all student athletes, as, as, as Craig just talked about. It's just been a tough year. And, and this was just an added level of stress for them that I was very empathetic about. So it was a really great moment to know that they, they had their new head coach in front of them and, and, and now we're off and running. All right, there's Craig Smith and Mark Harlan. If you want to hear that whole press conference, it's up on our website at 1280thezone.com. When we come back, the best of the Jazz postgame show as the Jazz win again. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo. Wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Jazz picking up wins Friday and Saturday. Really, the top of the West is cleaning up now. Even the Lakers, who'd been on a four-game slide, won a couple games this weekend. And uh, everybody in the the West who was a contender who played yesterday, the Suns, the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Blazers, they all won. And I think we're going to see a lot of winning down the stretch by these top six teams in the West. You really want to get to one or two and see if you can play seven or eight in the playoffs because these top six are fierce. The three six and a four five series are going to be tough. Uh, And the others may be as well, but we just know for sure the three six and four five should be. All right, here's the best of the Jazz postgame show. Your Jazz recap here on DJ and PK on 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Jazz win two games against Memphis Grizzlies over the weekend, Friday and Saturday night. Saturday uh, beat them 126 to 110. Donovan Mitchell, absolutely fantastic. 35 points. 12 of 17 shooting, 5 of 7 from 3, 7 assists, 2 rebounds as well. He had 28 points in the first half, which is a career high in the first half for Donovan Mitchell. Jordan Clarkson was great as well, 28 points coming in off the bench. Rudy, another solid effort, 16, 14, and 2. Joe Ingles started in place of Mike Conley. He had 15 points and 7 assists to go along with 2 rebounds. But Royce O'Neal, 10 points in the third quarter, played great defense on John Moran, 9 boards for Royce, 2 steals and a block and had this to say after the game all right we'll get started with tony jones the athletic was i mean um you know what a back-to-back in and and uh in a in a uh, wednesday game uh coming up you guys obviously this is three and four for you guys seeing memphis um is there any importance to this series you know just in 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 the sense that you know, Memphis is battling for that eight seed and, and you're, you guys are battling for that one seed. And that's a team that might be directly in your sights um, for a potential playoff matchup. Uh, I mean, we know they're a physical team. Uh, you know, they're going to come out and play hard every game. And we got to match that intensity, you know, get off to great starts. I mean, you know, we haven't been having the best, but, you know, I feel like these games, you know, prepare us and, you know, help us get better, you know, the ways we can come out and we just got to focus on ourselves. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. 
Royce Donovan had a pretty incredible first half, putting up 28 points on just 12 shots. From your perspective, what was working for him? What was he doing out there to kind of take advantage of what Memphis was giving him? I mean, he was just getting to his spots. I mean, uh, you know, Donovan, you know, he get hot real quick. Uh, you know, we give him the ball and let him keep going. Um, he's, you know, I think his efficiency, you know, this year has been great. You know, him finding open guys and then just, you know, just being more comfortable with the shots he's, you know, that they're giving it to him. Ryan Miller, KSL. Hey, Royce, kind of piggybacking off of Tony's earlier question. How specifically have these back-to-backs helped prepare for potential playoff situations, if at all? Uh, I mean, you know, they're kind of like, you know, many playoff series, uh, you know, game to game, making different adjustments, you know, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't, you know, um, making a game plan on how we can stop them. And then, you know, us just executing, you know, playing defense, um, making those defensive stops, you know, create our offense and then us just getting easy buckets. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Royce, uh, uh, you know, the defense on John Morant had a, was better tonight. He had a tough game. Kind of what was the difference between tonight versus last night on, on that? I mean, just trying to make him, you know, uncomfortable, you know, uh, you know, trying to beat him to spots. You know, he's, he's a great player. I mean, he, you know, he finds his teammates, you know, finishes at the basket, makes shots, uh, but just giving them different looks, uh, you know, making things tough for him, you know, throwing different coverages at him, and, you know, just focusing on playing our defense, really. Last question, follow-up from Eric Walden. Royce, in addition to the defense that you were playing on, Jaw, especially in that third quarter, you also dropped all 10 of your points in that third quarter stretch. What was working for you at that point? Yeah, I was just, you know, guys were finding me. You know, our defense led to the offense. Uh, you know, getting out in transition, you know, getting those easy buckets, knocking down open threes, uh, you know, creating for everybody else as well. All right, that was Royce O'Neal uh, as he had a great game, uh, particularly in the third quarter. Let's now go ahead and hear from Donovan Mitchell. All right, we'll get started here. First question will be from Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Don. So it seemed like you were just incredibly confident in that first half, those walk-up threes that you were hitting. Just what was going through your mind as as you're scoring 28 points on just 12 shots? Um, the biggest thing was just being aggressive. Um Obviously, with Mike out, you know, fall, fell a lot. Uh, the ball's in my hands and, and Joe's hands a lot a lot more. You know, I understand with the, with the man down, we got to, everybody has to raise their level. And I just did it through scoring. You know, some days it's it's passing. Some days it's rebound. Like whatever, some days it's defense, you know, but doing whatever is necessary. Um, and that was just my mindset, just be aggressive. Understanding they were going to come out and play hard after last night. And, you know, I think we all, as a group, did a great job of continuing to apply pressure throughout the entire game. Tony Jones, the athletic. Donovan, two-part question. Um, number one, can you just like kind of describe like, you know, what happens in the throws of competition, like kind of you talking back and forth and it's like friendly banter, you know, yeah. specifically talking about you and Dylan. And the second thing, um, you know, what, you know, you guys three and four, um, knowing that you guys could possibly see this team down the line in, in, the, in the postseason, what what does this series mean to you guys? Um, you know, I think I'll start the first thing. I think it's, it's all part of the game. It's fun. You know, I think that's what makes the game fun. You know, I grew up playing basketball in New York City where that's all that was, just trash talk and noise, you know, and I think that's that's what makes the competition level, you know, fun. 
Um, so that's all that was, you know, and as far as, you know, understanding that they're a team that's, you know, on the rise, you know, they got young guys ready to hoop, you know, guys out there being physical, doing what they do. Um, they, they're, they're a tough team to play, you know, so just being able to go out there and just set the tone early. Uh, we see these guys again in a few days and you know, I imagine it'll be just as physical and just as chirpy, but that's part of it. That's what makes basketball fun. That's what makes the game fun. Um, you know, and it's never personal, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, but, you know, I think understanding that, you know, I didn't even know they were in the nice seat. Uh, they're eight, eight, nine, whatever seat they are. Um, so it could be a matchup, but, you know, I didn't even know that, to be honest. So I wouldn't say we look, we're looking at that, but at the end of the day, just going out there and just being aggressive and, you know, doing what's necessary. Brian Miller, KSL. Hey, Don, have these back-to-backs kind of taught you anything about how this team is going to be in a playoff situation in a preparation mode? Um, I think having the bubble experience, you know, but being most of these guys uh, for three or four years as a group, I think we, we've seen how we rise to occasions, we've, we've, how we respond. You know, we think, you know, for us to have let the lead up last game, you know, to have it be a three-point game, you know, we understood that, you know, we had to come out, make the first punch and continue to fight, continue to fight, understanding that they're not going to go away. Um, so I think that's one thing we've definitely seen, the hunger and continuous hunger and continuous uh, foot on the foot on the gas throughout the entire game. I think that's something that we've definitely taken uh, to another level. But, you know, we we can continue to do that. You know, there's a few errors we had in the third quarter. Um, it's natural when you get up by that much. But, you know, if we want to be who we want to be, those can't happen. You know, a few of them on myself um, as well. And just just going through it, you know, understanding that, you know, we want to be the, the final team standing and we got to continue to chomp at the bit and, and lay brick by brick to, to be there. Andy Larson, Salt Tribune. Don Roy said something interesting that basically he thought one of the reasons you were so successful tonight was that you were getting to your spots. And I was curious kind of what you think kind of your spots are right now that you're you're trying to find on the court. Um, you know, the the definitely the rim and the three are the, the, the main ones, but I think the mid-range is helping me out a lot. You know, it's not necessarily the shot that, you know, than, than everybody in the NBA takes. But, you know, I think it opens up a lot for me, you know, because it forces the bigs to be up. And not necessarily just for me scoring. It forces them to have to be up to respect the shot. I'm getting by and then I'm finding guys. And also makes defense change their coverages, whether I'm hitting the three or the mid-range, you know, and I'm able to – if they're blitzing, I'm able to hit guys. And we have such great shooters uh, and trusting my teammates and finding them. And it makes everything easier on, on both ends. I think that's that's been the biggest thing. You know, just understanding and feeling the game, feeling where I'm going to get my shots at and feeling where I'm going to get my teammates' shots at. Uh, I feel like that's been the biggest thing. But I think the the, the rim and the three are obviously um, the easy ones. But I think the mid-range, being able to play in that pocket, find find things, and whether it's a shot, a pass, or whatever it may be, uh, just kind of playing with that. Follow-up from Eric Walden. Don, I know you haven't had much of a chance to interact with him yet and and just a few minutes of garbage time at the end of the game tonight, but what are your early impressions of Matt Thomas? Um, Actually, um, every time I did the cold tub in the bubble, Matt was there. So we've actually gotten to know each other pretty well. Um, You know, he's, he's, you know, a great person, first and foremost. Um, I think the biggest thing obviously stands out is three-point shooting, but his knowledge of the game, he's cerebral. He knows knows where to get to. Um, Now it's his first game. Uh, out here with us, but, you know, he was running plays uh, after one morning of scripting, which is kind of figuring out where to be. You know, that tells you everything you need to know about his IQ, his, his level of IQ, and, you know, we trust him to shoot the ball, and, you know, his number's going to be called, and he's going to be ready to shoot, ready to do his thing, but, you know, I've I've known him 
I guess for since the bubble. Um, and, you know, rumor has it he's a pretty good golfer too. So love to see about that. That was Donovan Mitchell, 35 points, seven assists, and two rebounds. Let's uh, wrap up the player sound by hearing from the newest jazz man, Matt Thomas. All right. Nice to meet you. We'll get started with Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Hey, Matt. Good to see you over the Zoom and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I, I just uh, Donovan was just talking about um, how quickly you've been picking up the plays at practice and just curious how you're acclimating so far and your early impressions of your teammates. Yeah, I mean, it's been it's been a crazy what's it been maybe like 48 hours now since I got the news uh, roughly. So it's been it's been wild, you know, packing up your life and moving across country and then just trying to like you kind of touched on, just get acclimated to uh, the team and my teammates and obviously like the, the system and the, and the plays and everything. But, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just trying to do everything I can to pick things up, ask questions. And, um, my teammates have been amazing and, and same with the coaching staff, just top down is, is a, a first class organization. And, um, it's no coincidence why, you know, we're the number one team in the league, have the best record in the league and have, you know, consistently been going to the playoffs every single year. Next up, Tony Jones, The Athletic. Hey, Matt, I'm, um, I'm Tony Jones. Nice to meet you. Um, um, I, I guess my question is, um, you know, what's it been like, you know, acclimating, knowing that you have a guy here in George that, that you played with for three years, that, you know, you kind of lived across the hall from uh, mm-hmm. at, Iowa, at Iowa State and just generally have a, a, a long-term friendship with, you know, so how, how has that helped you kind of acclimate to, to, uh, to, 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 to the jazz in the Salt Lake? Yeah. I mean, having George is, is obviously huge for me. Uh, like you touched on, um, we played three years together, uh, at Iowa state, you know, and we've been uh, really close friends, you know, or we grew that friendship then and have been really close friends ever since. Um, and actually in the bubble, just from me being around George and like grabbing, you know, breakfast with him or a meal or, um, stuff like that. I was actually around other guys from the jazz. Um, I know Donovan, uh, I met him out there and got to know him a little bit and Joe and, um, just a few other guys just doing, uh, we all had like ice baths, um, out by the pool together, a bunch of the team. So there was times, um, where, um, we were all together, I guess out there. And, um, that just gave, you know, us some familiarity with each other too. And it's helping me, uh, um, adapt and adjust, I think a little bit quicker as well. Andy Larson, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey, Matt, just wanted to know kind of what you think about your fit for this team kind of on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think the way I play uh, is a perfect fit for the the way the Jazz plays. Obviously, uh, you know, Coach Q likes to play fast and get up a lot of threes, and um, that's what I love to do. That's what um, I'm, I'm best at doing. And that's, you know, why I'm in the league. Right. Um, so they play the right way. They make the extra pass. Um, everyone can kind of shoot pass and dribble. And, uh, it's a really, really dynamic offense. Then defensively just kind of, uh, you know, you have the best big in the league with Rudy and just being able to kind of funnel everything to him. And, um, I think it's a, uh, like, like I said, just a, a really good fit, not only for me as a player, but as a person, um, I think I'm going to fit in really well with, um, the way, uh, guys are on this team, just the personalities of this team and um, just the values and everything um, that they stand for. Ben Anderson, KSLSports.com. 
Matt, how familiar familiar are you with just kind of the stuff the Jazz run? Like, do you think you know 10% of the plays, or is it less than that? Is it more than that? Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm starting to catch on. I, I uh, had a little walkthrough this morning and tried to pick up as much as I could, but that's all – that's all I've gotten so far. Um, and I'm just trying to be a sponge and, you know, watch and learn, um, while, when I'm not in the game. Um, but you know, like, like you said, with, with my relationship with George, um, I've always, you know, watched the jazz when they're on TV or, you know, tried to follow them when I could. So that also gives me a little leg up, um, just kind of knowing how they play. Um, but no, I, it's hard to put a percentage on it right now. Next up, Niall Campbell, utahjazz.com. Hi, Matt. Nice to meet you. Um, so George said that he immediately reached out to you, you know, when he heard the news, he wanted to know what that initial conversation was like. And then do you know anything about the state of Utah or Salt Lake City? Um, yeah, so George, yeah, I mean, typical George, he FaceTimed me right away and he was all happy. Obviously, I was I was really excited about the move um, just to, again, um, kind of reunite with him and then. Um, it's, it's, I'm pretty fortunate to be able to join in, join the best team in the league, like I touched on. Um, and I think it's a great fit for me, uh, moving forward in my career. So I'm, I'm really happy about being here. And, um, uh, in, in regards to your question about Utah, I don't know a ton. Um, I was just asked, uh, earlier if I had been here outside of the NBA and I, I did play at Iowa state, we played uh, BYU my freshman year in Provo. So that was another only other time in Utah. Um, I love like the outdoors and like I've heard there's a lot of um, obviously with the mountains here and, and there's a bunch of cool national parks. So that's stuff that I can definitely get into in the off season. I'm looking forward to. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. Hey Matt. So when we were talking to George the other day, he mentioned that on uh, that right before the trade deadline, Dennis Lindsay had come to him as he was getting shots up and he panicked thinking that he was the one being traded and instead that Dennis was asking him about you and then told him that you guys were teammates. Um, what was your immediate reaction when you found out that the deal had been struck and you were on your way to the jazz? Um, well, I, it's funny. I was actually on the golf course playing golf when it, when I found out. Um, so all of a sudden my, obviously my phone's blown up, talked to my agent and I'm, you know, talking to, you know, the front office people with the Raptors and then also with the jazz. And I had to get off the course pretty quick because um, obviously I was going to be on a flight uh, here uh, in the next 12 hours. But I was, I, like I said, I was excited because um, not only I'm, I'm joining the best team in the league um, I, and I, I keep saying it, I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I do think it's a perfect fit uh, for me and in the way I play and also just, uh, from a personality and just like a teammate standpoint, I think I'm just going to fit in really well with the guys here. So uh, I'm really excited about the move and um, I'm really looking forward to um, the run we're going to make this season. Last one's a follow-up from Chris and Kenny, just TV. All right. So George also said that he would love to see you in a shooting battle with Joe and Boyan. <laughs> How do you think <laughs> that would end? Um, yeah, both those guys can shoot it, um, extremely well. Um, I'm, I'm a confident shooter myself, so I'm going to put myself up against, against anyone, but 
Um, I guess it's all speculation until until it happens, but um, I think it would definitely be competitive. There's Matt Thomas in seven minutes. Uh, went scoreless. Did have three turnovers, but uh, you can tell he's excited to be on this Utah Jazz team. Let's wrap up the sound from Saturday night with Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. All right, Kristen Kenny, Jazz TV. Coach, after Memphis dominated the second half last night, how pleased are you with the way your group came out all four quarters tonight? Well, they're a good team, and it's uh, particularly when you, you – know, we came out of the gate strong. I think you see leads evaporate all the time um, in this league. That happened in some ways uh, the other night, last night. Um, but I thought we really – we had a couple of stretches where we turned the ball over um, and gave them some things in transition. But uh, by and large, I thought we did a good job, you know, adjusting to the game when they went zone. And, uh, you know, I liked the fact that we ran. Eric Walden, Salt Lake Tribune. When Donovan scores 28 points in the first half on just 12 shots tonight, what was he doing that made him so kind of effective and efficient uh, early on, especially? Well, I think he, you know, he really pushed the ball at the beginning of the possessions, which I think puts him in a mindset. that's um, an attacking mindset. Um, but he was also, you know, he was attacking, but he was creating. And, you know, a lot of the catch and shoot threes, um, you know, he created space where he wasn't hugging the line, where he had some, you know, he shoots the ball with range and, you know, we're confident when he shoots the ball, but he also got in, you know, he did, did everything. He got in the paint, had his eyes out and found people. Um, I thought this is one of the best defensive efforts he's had too. And I know that's something um, that we've talked about and he, he takes a lot of pride in. Ben Anderson, castlesports.com. Quinn, yesterday you talked about not adjustments, but, you know, putting an emphasis on the things you needed to do better. Did you see that tonight? Yeah, there, you know, there's always little things that, you know, maybe are noticeable or not. Um, but I thought transition defense, I thought we better, I haven't seen the, I'm too blind to look at the offensive rebounds. Um, but I thought we did a better job, you know, protecting the paint. And, you know, our guards got involved more. And, uh, but, you know, the, the transition defense might have been the biggest thing. You know, the two ends of the possession, getting back and then closing a possession. And when we do that, we're able to get out and run. Last one, follow up from Kristen Kenny. Coach Donovan, you can just see him talking more, talking more to teammates, to refs. Uh, what can you say about his maturity at this point and just how much the game has really slowed down for him? Well, you know, watching Donovan evolve as a player, um, there's obviously more there. He's hungry. Um, You know, we've talked a lot about his efficiency. And that was, you know, that was one of the really the best thing about tonight is he was efficient in so many ways. I I thought he really didn't force himself on the game. Um, He had opportunities to score and he took them. Uh, He found other people, but I, I, I thought he picked his spots. And, you know, he's capable of having those kind of nights um, to do it on the amount of shots that he took um, says a lot about the reads he was making, you know, during the course of the possession. And again, I, I think it starts in the backcourt, um, you know, where he's seeing the floor as he's receiving the ball. Uh, and that allows him to, 
you know, to, to, to read the floor and see where guys are and position the ball where, where it needs to be and also to attack. There you go, Jazz head coach Quinn Snyder. The Jazz have won five consecutive games. They beat the Grizzlies on Saturday night, 126-110. to 110. Next up, Jazz take on the Cavs here at Vivint Arena. On uh, Coming up tonight, that game will tip off at 7 o'clock. Pre-game coverage begins at 6. There's the best of the Jazz post-game show. When we come back, what is trending? Stay with us. Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah Jazz. Well, you know. Watching Donovan evolve as a player, um, there's obviously more there. He's hungry, and you know, we've talked a lot about his efficiency. That was one of the really the best thing about tonight is he was efficient in so many ways. I, I thought he really didn't force himself on the game. He had opportunities to score, and he took them. He found other people, but I, I, I thought he picked his spots. And you know, he's capable of having those kind of nights. To do it on the amount of shots that he took says a lot about the reads he was making during the course of the possession. And again, I. I think it starts in the backcourt, you know, where he's seeing the floor as he's receiving the ball. And that allows him to, to read the floor and see where guys are and position the ball where, where it needs to be and also to attack. There's Quinn Snyder. Happy after the Jazz beat the Grizzlies 126-110. Two wins in two nights. And PK, I guess that goes right to the heart of the issue as we all try to project what's happening in the regular season into the playoffs, which is hard to do because the level of competition is going to go up and the level of intensity is going to go up. But if you don't play at a high level now, hard to believe you'll play at a high level then. So a good sign, even if ultimately it still doesn't tell us everything we want to know right now. <laughs> wow. You took all that from one basketball game? And one, and one, well, not sentence, more paragraph from, from Quinn. But, yeah, I think that's what he's thinking in okay. so many words. In so many words. You said he was happy because he's happy. <laughs> All right, what did you take from that game? Other, I think the obvious thing was they, they closed it better and didn't let him back in the game. They had to win Friday on a jump ball. The game-winning jump ball, not a phrase you use a lot. Saturday night's game. I got to harken back. That's a wild. <laughs> You've watched a lot of basketball since then, haven't we all? <laughs> yeah. So that uh, they, yeah, they they played well. I mean, this is the way they win. Uh, Conley sits out. Uh, Ingles plays well. Mitchell plays well. Bogdanovich can't make a shot to save his life. Uh, this is a great formula they got going on. <laughs> Four starters and double figures, and Bogey with three points on one of seven shooting. Yeah. But that one felt good. Hit that three ball. I think too. You got Memphis is a is a young team, and so they they've got a level of inconsistency that they displayed all season. And you saw that John Moran was sensational on Friday, and he struggled on Saturday. What does that mean when they play Wednesday? I don't know. Uh, I haven't looked at their schedules, so I don't know. If they, I'm sure they have a game between now and then, but. You know, he's just, what, in his second year, is he not? So uh, this is what he has. He's going to mature. He's sort of uh, a smaller version of Mitchell. When Mitchell first came into the league, you know, sensational one point and struggling the next. And you got to find your groove. And the Jazz are in their groove, that's for sure. 
Memphis plays at Houston tonight, so neither team will be going back-to-back on Wednesday. Their schedules match up well. Yeah, I think it reminds me of that Jazz team uh, from maybe five years ago where you could see they were starting to get some of the pieces. They didn't have uh, Mitchell yet. And they didn't make the playoffs, but the second half of the season they played really well. And it's like, okay, you got some of the pieces. You're not quite there yet. And then they went and added a bunch of veterans in the offseason. And with the Grizzlies, you can see they've got some good players and they have stretches they are pretty good, uh, but not quite there yet. Bouncing around 500. Jazz turned their attention to the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight. And another team that is uh, uh, struggling in the East. So go out and do your thing and take care of business. It shouldn't be a massive test, but you never know for sure. Cleveland 12 games under 500, but that's what we were saying about the Wizards, and they lost in Washington, so you never know. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. Paul whips the pass out to Booker. A long straightaway three is short. Long rebound is back to Booker. Shoot another three. Why not? Shazam! Marquise Morris ahead for Kuzma to throw it down. Jamal Murray has it top of the key over to Nikola Jokic. Nuggets move it right to left. Aaron Gordon in a two-handed slam dunk. Get ready to see a lot of that this season. CJ and the logo at midcourt down to 10 to shoot. Loosely defended by Boucher. Lasers by four. Crosses over. And again. Now he drives. Runs it up from the free throw line. It is good in the foul. And CJ McCollum will head to the line. Four of the five teams chasing the Jazz in the uh, Western Conference playoff race, all playing yesterday, all winning. Not a surprise that uh, the Nuggets blew out the Rockets, 106-102. The Blazers beat the Raptors, 122-117. PK, wait, 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 wait. They blew out the, Rock- the no, Rockets, 106-102? 126-102. The Nuggets beat the Rockets <laughs> okay. by 24. And the Blazers come from behind to beat the Raptors, 122-117. They didn't have your favorite Blazer recipe going with the uh, the two guards going off. They struggled a little bit. They actually had balanced scoring and found a way to win. Well, I think the big news here, rather than any individual game, is these teams have all made moves. And so it's energized them. you got Vogel expecting Drummond, who the Lakers have signed after he was bought out, to give the Lakers a big lift. Mm-hmm. And then you got Aaron Gordon sees no limits. Now, these are the top headlines in the ESPN thing on the right side. So these two teams added a couple of players. They're just, they're way excited. And the Blazer to add Norman Powell and put him into the starting lineup and get back Yurkic. So now they're ready to go. So they got this momentum that they've sort of created i don't know that it's been established yet but they've created it through the acquisitions and so now they're all excited and uh the jazz ad whatever that kid's name is i already forgot his name uh and he came matt in. thomas yeah matt matt thomas there you go uh i don't know that i'm going to spend a whole lot of time memorizing his name it should be easy to remember but twitter the handles point- the ice man if that helps you <laughs> Yeah, I'm not going to look at that. You guys look at Twitter and get back to me. If there's anything I need to know, you'll tell me uh, that that these guys, these teams now are energized. We'll see what it means. Now, obviously, for the Lakers getting Anthony Davis and LeBron James back and me could have energized them <laughs> because those guys are all that. So, But Drummond's, you know, big pickup. And, and, the, and they moved, uh, like I thought, they moved Gordon right into the starting lineup for Denver and put Millsap off the bench. 
And Powell, like I thought, moved him into the starting lineup. So adds a little juice to not the second half of the season because we're well past that, but the last 25, 28 games. Did you see Powell playing his old team? So predictable. He jumps some play, knows what's coming, and he's probably done it in practice. And goes down and gets a steal, goes down, throws down a dunk, and then turns and just glares at the Toronto bench. He jumped their team. That's like the cornerback on the route? We're going football terminology here? That's really what he did. He jumped a route. It was some handoff 30 feet from the hoop. He jumped it. Man, that's it. Spring football, it's got me going. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know that I'm in football mode now. I mean, you got me eyeball deep in basketball, and now we're (laughs) jumping routes. Uh, we were wondering last week if the Lakers had enough to uh, to win without their top two. And it's like, well, if they can't beat Cleveland or Orlando, it's going to be a long haul. And they lost four in a row. But they handled Cleveland by 14 and came from behind late to beat Orlando by three. So I guess the Lakers will be able to grind out a few wins here without their big two. Sure. Uh, some of the other moves, the Nets added LaMarcus Allridge on a one-year veterans minimum deal. After he's bought out by San Antonio, so see if he gets some wide open shots playing along Duran or Harden or Irving or some combination of them. If a poised veteran can hit big shots in a big moment when he's open, doesn't seem like they're going to ask him to do a lot. Will he do that? That move really didn't excite me at all. Does Drummond more the Laker move? Well, yeah, he's a player, I mean, particularly for what they need. I mean, the Nets adding Lamarcus Aldridge. Here's another one of these guys who's just going to make millions but really had no bearing on winning throughout the entire length of his NBA career, but yet he's going to make millions to where it's going to be generational, changing health, wealth, and good for him that he was born 6'10 and whatnot. But it seems like he's just added uh, more icing to a cake that's already just covered in icing, whereas the Lakers, they, they needed that, and they got it. Austin Rivers waived by the Thunder, expected to sign with the Bucks. So one more of those moves that's supposed to generate a little energy. We'll see what it does. DJ and PK. Hashtag college basketball. The horn will sound and it's over. From afterthought to elite, the Oregon State Beavers are going to the Elite Eight. Oregon State 65, Loyola 58. The magical run for the Oregon State Beavers continues. With 3.2 seconds left, inbounds pass to Singleton. Singleton is going to dribble it out, and it is over. For the first time since 2008, the UCLA Bruins are in the Elite Eight. For just the third time in school history, and the first time in 20 years, USC is an elite basketball program. An elite eight program. USC, UCLA, Oregon State, three Pac-12 teams into regional finals with Gonzaga and also that's four of the eight from the West. A league and a region that's been an afterthought so many times, PK. Oh, the jaw's out. The shoulders are back. The strut is on. Feeling good. For those programs, I mean, not the... Utah State ain't feeling good right now. They're in the West. I mean, those programs are feeling good. I just, I, I just disagree with you that that's a big deal. And I know it's a talking point, so it's not just you. But it's a big deal for those individual schools. That's all that matters. 
But how does that help Arizona with all the problems they've had and this looming coaching change has been looming over them for a couple of years now? I don't know if it's going to happen or not. You would think it's going to. It's got to happen at some point. No good coaches forever. But how does that help them, right? I don't think it does that much. I mean, financially, they're going to make some more money. That's always good. The more money you can make, it's good. Money money rules, man. And people, I know that's uh, East Coast cynicism, but that's the way I look at it because everything is money-driven. And one way or another, that's for sure. That's what I'll always believe that. If you don't want to believe that, that's your call. Uh, so get more money. That could help. But good for these programs. Uh, they're the ones that they did it, and they're the ones that should be ecstatic about it. I wouldn't have picked three Pac-12 teams to the Elite Eight, and if I had, I would have picked uh, USC, Oregon, and Colorado. I wouldn't have picked UCLA and Oregon State, and yet, nonetheless, here they are. Nonetheless, here they are. Oregon State is going to play Houston today at 5-15 for a trip to the Final Four. That's followed by Arkansas and Baylor. Those games are on CBS tonight. Is anybody else sick of looking at Wayne Tinkle's daughters? <laughs> there's there's only so many cutaways to be taken out with limited people in the stands. Yeah, but they've been doing this for years. It's not this is not new no, to this year. True. You're right. Yeah. These two the the daughters and and it's not like uh do we find out is he going to uh receive the death penalty or be set free here? I mean, it's a friggin' basketball game. My goodness. And I'm so sick and tired of hearing them. That's why or seeing them. That's why when they won, I, I tweeted out, I'm, ha- I'm happy for Wayne Tickle's family. It seems like, man, these gals <laughs> just... Getting a lot of airtime. Driving me nuts. All right, the games tonight are on TV on CBS. They're on radio right here on The Zone. They will be on 1280 The Zone starting at 5 o'clock tonight. The Jazz and the Cavaliers with David Locke and Ron Boone will be on 97.5 The Zone. So Jazz on the FM, March Madness on the AM. The big college basketball news locally, Craig Smith, Utah State coach, three years, qualifies for the tournament three times, and now he's been hired by Utah, who's only gone to the tournament three times in 15 years, and he wants to turn it around. He was pretty pretty definitive, PK. He's, he's open to playing in-state games. Not everybody every year, but playing in-state games. He wants to play big non-conference games because you got to beat the best to be the best, and you got to challenge yourself to improve. And the goal is to get to the tournament and win in the tournament, and that's for starting this year. He's putting himself on notice. Uh, is he going to be curing childhood cancer and puppies for everyone, too? He did not discuss puppies for everyone. <laughs> that's a follow-up question for the next press availability. <laughs> Coach, can everyone have puppies? Right after we go to the Sweet 16, yes. And say whatever you want, because everybody says the same thing when they get hired. And I take the same approach to this. Let's give the man time. Let's give the lady time, whatever job they're getting, and let's see what they can do and, and go from there. So I'm excited for them. I think it was a pretty good hire. I believe that they should have had a coach who had Division One head coaching experience, and they got somebody who really wants it. Alex Jensen didn't really want it, obviously. That's why he didn't take it. And Bryant has never been a head coach. You, that's not the type of program Utah should be. They should have somebody who's been a head coach and doesn't need uh, time to acclimate, can hit the ground running because he's already done it for a good while, and that's exactly what they got. So is this going to be different than the previous three? Will this 
Return the glory days to the Hill. Lots of NCAA trips. Some NCAA wins along the way. Well, if he can get talent and keep talent, yes. I assume he's already diving into the transfer portal. Ooh, man, I hope it's not uh, shallow because that could hurt. No, it's like 900 or 1,000 players deep or something. Yak will probably give us the number. Well, yeah, but you've got to have talent. It's yep. not about players. It's yeah, about talented right. players. Yeah, if you bring in average guys, you'll be right back where you were. Right. Indiana hired longtime NBA coach Mike Woodson as their new head coach. He's got a six-year deal. He played for Bob Knight at Indiana. He's a native of Indianapolis. So going to Bloomington, I don't know what it is, an hour and a half, two hours down the road, whatever it is. He's 63 years old, and he's there to re- Restore the glory and get the alma mater back on track. Give him a definite maybe, too. No reason to hop off the definite maybe prediction bus now. Right. I, uh, I have to allow him. I, I take the same stance same every time someone is hired. That didn't overwhelm me, but how do I know that he's going to come in there and get a great staff and, and get the kids from that region and some others who want to go there and he knows how to get them to the NBA in the way that Herm Edwards knows how to get them to the NFL because they were both 63 when they got the job. And and uh, who's to say that uh, he doesn't do a great job? It seems to me that you're sort of rearranging the chairs a little bit here. But here's your opportunity to see what you got, man. Well, one thing they like to say in recruiting, all the kids want to go to the NBA. And as a longtime NBA coach, he says, I know what NBA coaches are looking for, so we'll see if that pitch works for him. You know what he's going to say. We'll see if it works. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. When our guys come back, and that's my job, I'm going to beat the up. <laughs> we're going back to basics, and we're going to have one hell of a training camp and know where we, what our foundation is. That's Bruce Arians, coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, taking him back to square one. Well, he can do whatever he wants and as far as the NFL. And Zach Wilson, simply the throw. That's all I'm talking <laughs> about. You can talk about whatever you want to talk about in this little rundown sheet here, and you can have at it. But all I'm thinking about is the throw. Zach The Mona Lisa, up. the throw. Throwing it right across his body. Back to the middle of the field. 50 yards. Spot on. The throw. That's simply what it's now known. Every quarterback heretofore, henceforth, has got to measure himself against the throw. All you Cougar quarterbacks, go out and start working on it. Every that. single quarterback, not just – I'm talking about NFL prospects. Don't have to limit it to BYU. I'm talking across the world. The throw. So Corner Canyon, Bingham, Lone Peak quarterbacks – Alabama, Clemson, uh, Tom Brady. (laughs) Brady, I don't care about your Super Bowls. Make the throw. Can you recreate the throw? 20 years from now, they're going to do that. Stockton recreated the shot. Kirk Gibson has recreated the home run trot many times over. And now, can Zach Wilson, was not, not Zach Wilson, 20 years from now, yes. Will he be able to recreate the throw? Because that was the most sensational thing I've ever seen in my life. That's the best thing these eyes have ever seen. The throw. These it's eyes? the throw. Not the throw. The throw. <laughs> You're just picking up one stick after another. Ooh, I'll add this to Michael Eggsman. The Niners shook up the NFL draft order. They traded up to the number three slot, which is essentially the number one slot because now Trevor Lawrence is the... Got a unanimous... 
prediction here. He'll go number one. Mm, not so sure about that. And now, Zach Wilson will go number two. All the mock drafts have him slotted in at two now. NFL, uh, NFL.com, CBS, ESPN, Fox, Pro Football Focus. Everybody's got him plugged no. in at two. No, he's going number one because Urban Meyer is going to grab the team down south quarterback who made the throw. I wish that you would watch. happen. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. First off, to have that happen. And then second, in his first media availability for Urban to look into a computer and say, he really impressed me at the team down south. If he did that, <laughs> Urban, please. We have a whole show written oh, for a please, week. Please, Urban, he won't do it. I'm not doing it. That, that was just bogus to get you, you fans. You bought into it. He gave you a heck of a ride, but he was never one of you. 22-2 and two and moving on. Uh, multiple reports over the weekend. The NFL is set to announce a 17-game regular season schedule this weekend. Multiple players responding negatively to it. Saints running back Alvin Kamara described the schedule expansion as bleep dumb as hell. Well, they'll get paid for it, I suppose. So there's that. Of course, another game of all those collisions. A 17th. I guess this is the line they don't want to cross, PK. The 17th game. But apparently they're going to have no choice because the union signed off on it uh, a year ago, a little more than a year ago. So it's coming. Expected to drop a preseason game. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Feel really good about spring. I thought we took advantage of all the 15 practices and really got the a lot of good work in today. Had some really good focus on our stuff yesterday. And then um, I think this was a really good week for us. Uh, looking forward to taking the next step forward and making sure that we keep our, our leadership thriving and, and keep our, our team culture going. So uh, knowing what we have talent-wise on our team currently and then what else we're adding I think is going to be um, really cool to, to get that transition going and having everybody be ready to roll. All right, there's Kalani Sataki, all sorts of upbeat after spring football comes to a conclusion. Bring on the Pac-12, PK, Arizona, Utah, and ASU to open the season. Three Pac-12 games right out of the gate. I'm ready. Uh, He's pumped uh, up. Can we fast forward? No, uh, I'm not can't. ready. No, uh, maybe it'll come in time. I'm, whenever it comes, I'll be ready then. But uh, that's a great schedule. That's, uh, they should be playing as many Pac-12 teams as possible. We've said it a thousand times. Well, they got three of them, and then they've got the, uh, I think that's South Florida, but then uh, a couple of big Mountain West games, too. So all that to look should, forward to coming up. I think half of their schedule should always be three Pac-12, three Mountain West. And if they can schedule more of those, then have at it. And Jaron Hall, if he's healthy, will start a quarterback. That's been my thing. I'm going to stick with it. No coach has told me that. That's my own personal opinion. That's what I think. Howard Schnellenberger, who led Miami to its first national title in the process, turned the once-floundering football program into a dynasty, died on Saturday at the age of 87. Trailblazing coach, PK. Yeah. DJ PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Mad Bum will be the opening day starter for the Diamondbacks. Arizona's going to give the ball to Madison Bumgardner. Signed a five-year deal, $85 million. Uh, went 1-4 and four with a 6.48 ERA last season. That didn't go so well. 
Is this the end of the road for him, or we're writing it off as a bizarre season and some people flourished and some struggled and it was 60 games and don't judge him? Oh, I don't think he's half of what he was. He's only getting it because Zach Gallen, their ace, is injured. So I'm sure you've never heard of him, but he's a guy they picked up from uh, Miami and he picked very well last season. But right now he's got some arm issues, so he's he's sidelined. So they got to have somebody take the ball. Arizona opening up Thursday in San Diego. DJ and PK, what is trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, Utah football availability. Kyle Whittingham's going to speak. The running backs are going to speak. We're going to hear from them coming up at 8 o'clock. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider at 9 o'clock to talk regional finals. And the Jazz. Now building another little winning streak here and getting on a little bit of a roll. We'll talk with Steve coming up at 9.05. Your reaction to the youth's basketball hire, that is next. Stay with us. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated. The Jazz have the Grizzlies three times in six nights. You get the chance to really get to know an opponent just like you do in a playoff series and you scout them more. During a normal regular season, you're not tailoring your strategies to your opponent. It's not until the playoffs usually that you really seriously game plan based on who you're facing. Three games out of four, I would imagine, Quinn Snyder and his staff are actually digging into it a little bit more. It's also a team that conceivably the Jazz could be facing in a 1-8 matchup. That'll make things interesting. A little bit more of a chess match, perhaps. I mean, I knew this season, obviously, they're getting Getting teams to play twice in a row quite often, but three times in four games? That's wild. Catch the Big Show weekdays from 2 to 7. Presented by Big O' Tires, the team you trust. On 97.5, 1280, The Zone, in The Zone Sports Network. Hot Takes Toast brought to you by Jerry Seiner Cadillac. At Jerry Seiner Cadillac, you can chop your way and get a piece of luxury you deserve. Stop by and test drive one today. Question of the morning, Ute fans, do you like the Craig Smith hire? The Utes hire the Aggies basketball coach to get them to the NCAA tournament. And basically, we got a huge shrug from the fan base on, uh, on Facebook, PK. Really? Yep. Margaret, it's a wait and see. I'm not thrilled. I hope I'm wrong. Thrilled? Not thrilled. I could see that you wouldn't be thrilled, but I, I, to, to me, it's not, a, uh, it's not a boring hire. Tracy says it seems like a safe choice, but he's not exciting and apathetic fan base. A good coach who can hopefully convince kids to come here and stay. Losing Batten and now Timmy Allen, we're in rebuilding mode again. Well, yeah. I don't, I don't know that you've lost uh, Allen completely. Uh, remains to be seen. Guys have uh, withdrawn their names or have returned to their original program that they were perceived to be leaving when they entered their name in there. Uh, to me, it was natural that Allen would do that, uh, where he is in his basketball life, uh, going into uh, to his senior year. Th- that would make sense with a coaching change. I-, I thought that his name going in there was one of the more obvious names to be put in there throughout the country. Now, uh, Craig Smith has an opportunity to re-recruit him, basically, and, and Craig Smith has a lot, a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of charisma. And he's three for three in NCAA tournaments. It's, it's crazy that the team that has been in the Mountain West, back to when Utah was there, and even BYU when they were there, 
it's they both of those teams have left and joined new conferences, but they had greater success getting to the NCAA tournament out of the Mountain West, and it's the same thing with Utah State. So all three programs, when they're in the Mountain West, Flourished. so far that's their best chance yeah. to get in the NCAA tournament. That's sort of crazy on that, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, way, is, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. The. Uh... The track record coming from the Mountain West, <clears throat> and it's not, it's not a, a BCS slash Power 5 football conference, and it doesn't have the mega TV package. It's gotten better over time, and this is, I think, what they have right now is probably the best they've ever had as far as exposure and all that, and yet it doesn't matter whether it's this deal or even when they were stuck playing on the mountain, their ability to get these, our teams, into the tournament, and it you go to these other leagues and it just doesn't translate. Now maybe it will going forward. Maybe we don't have a big enough sample size, but the Mountain West has been the best launching pad. Yeah, uh, I was I thinking understand. more like one or two coaches, you know. So well, ten years. The second coach for BYU is two for two. You know, was Rose at a point in his career that it was partly him also? I mean, I, I think we all expected him to cash in on Jimmer in a way they just weren't able to. You know, oh, now they got to figure. Now they're going to get better kids. No, they're not. It's going to it's going to be just pretty much what it was. Actually, slipped a little bit. But the new coach it's is two slip. for two. So, are we going to think something different when we get a bigger sample size of his career? Is he going to go five for five or four for five? Oh sure, okay. You can make that as as a distinction because then he'd be on a kind of Cleveland Rose Mountain West kind of. You know, what, did Cleveland go three times in four years? I'd have to look it up. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. And Rose won, I think, four in a row. Oh yeah, he had it. He had it going on. That's for sure. Yeah, in the Mountain West, uh, and then it's and then it slipped, and so now Craig Smith obviously is making this jump from Mountain West to Pac-12, and expectations increase. Because there's absolutely no reason that if Oregon State is going to the Elite Eight, that the University of Utah cannot go to the tournament. Zero reason. <laughs> I can't come up with any reasons. None. Not one. If Oregon if State's in the Elite Eight, eight, could you just yeah. get in the 68? Is that asking too right. much? No, it's not. It, it absolutely is not. And Mark Harlan and Craig Smith and everybody associated with the program, they would agree 100%. I think they would. History, that, tradition, uh, facilities, yeah. it's all there. Right. Oh, fan base, rabid fan base, mm-hmm. uh, every, everything you need. And, you know, weather. But I, I just don't think kids really care about weather because you're practicing all that time anyway. Uh, and then when you're done with the season, the weather gets better. So, so I, don't, I don't know that that really makes a big, big difference. And so now it's Craig Smith's charge to go ahead and get that thing done. I'm surprised that the fan base wouldn't be excited. I think it's a little bit, maybe they're embarrassed we had to go to Utah State. We never go to Utah State to do that. I mean, when you look around, you go from UVU to BYU, that's natural. Yeah, you went from Ball you go State from to Weber, Utah, what's the difference? Mm. Uh, because it's Utah State. You don't care about Ball State. You don't know anything about Ball State. Uh, you don't normally go to Utah State. You go from Utah to Utah State. You go from Weber to Utah State, but you don't go from Utah State to Utah. That just doesn't happen. We got uh, more people chiming in here. Uh, Shane, 
uh, win at Margaret for the wait and see, not thrilled. Bouncing back with, well, who exactly would you have hired? They got an excellent coach who is a master motivator. So Shane's on board. Shane's leading the parade. Okay. I can can buy that. McKay says, as an Aggie fan, I'm sad to see Craig go. Hopefully, we can find someone just as good to replace him. Well, yeah, if you're a Utah State fan, this sucks. But... It's your way of the world. This is where you belong. Guys get good at that program. They leave. The athletic directors, football coaches, basketball coaches. He's not the first. He's not going to be the last. That's just your spot in the world. And maybe you 60- can get somebody like a Stu Morrill who has a – he's sort of at the end – and he has a hometown yes. connection, or a home state connection anyway. Hire an older coach who thinks the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence and likes where he is. And it certainly worked for San Diego State and Rocky Long in football. So those coaches are out there, and they can come in, and they can win, and they can get you fired up. But you don't have as much money as the five leagues that are cashing in big time on football. And so they are going to go to the Mountain West Conference and they are going to hire coaches and they are going to hire ADs. And they're going to do it over and over. As you were saying in the last segment, money talks. And money like that yells. Money screams at all times. I believe most folks, their motivation is money, even if they couch it in another way. It's still money because <laughs> they're trying to they're trying to create an image to get more money. That's the and, and you protect your money at all costs. And you can't begrudge people have a chance to double and triple their salary. The chance to go double and triple their salary. So, I don't think anybody does. Yep. No. So Craig Smith, a good hire. Hit us up on Facebook, David DJ James, or on Twitter at David DJ James, on Facebook at DJ and PK. Scott says, oh, the last guy was supposed to be ready for NBA jobs, and we see how that turned out. We'll see, but it could just be that Majerus was special. Well, he was. He was special, but he wasn't the first guy who had a ton of success at Utah. Okay. Why can't another? But- I agree. Why can't another? That doesn't take. That doesn't add or subtract what uh, Majerus did. Brilliant man. Brilliant. Just absolutely. I think that's part of the reason he was uh, somewhat socially awkward is because his intelligence level was just unbelievable. off the charts. It really was. He was uh, his. He was to me somewhat a form of a genius. Not just in basketball. I'm talking his mind. Having been around him for ten years virtually on a day-to-day basis uh, during the basketball season. His mind was just – he was so smart. There was, there was no doubt about it, absolutely. Now, who's to say Craig Smith can't do it to that level? I'm not going to rule it out. I, I never put barriers on anybody, good or bad, when they're hired. And when I look at it, when you ask Mark Harlan, you know, who were you going to hire or ask the fan base – if not Craig Smith, then who? Uh, because if I look at it, I can argue very much so that the last three coaches, uh, Ray and, and Boylan and Larry, 
that he has as much or more credentials than any of those three. Well, Majerus is a little different story because Majerus actually won in the NCAA tournament. I think Larry might have had some success there too. He did in Mon- at uh, in Montana. They actually won in the Huntsman Center. Yeah, and Larry seemed like at the time a really good hire too. Well, I thought, I, think, I thought it was. I think that you can break. Uh, yeah, I mean it. I I think there were a lot of reasons that people were excited when Larry was hired, including us. And I think that like Dave Rose, you need to look at the 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 time at that job, Dave's time at BYU and Larry's time at Utah, in two chunks. And if you look at the first five yearish chunk, it was it was what you wanted. Larry came in. There was nobody in the program. Year one had to be year zero because the transfer window wasn't a thing, and he just had to wait to recruit. And he built it up. Every year was better than the next, and he got to the Sweet 16. Then he backed up the Sweet 16 with a trip to the second round. That second round game, the loss to Gonzaga, turned out to be a huge pivot point, and they never, the next five years, they never got anywhere near that. But the first five, the way he built it up from nothing into Sweet 16, that was what he was hired for. That was spot on everything everybody wanted. That the the whole trend, it was great. All right, but that's over now. I know. And Will Rose, the first five years, again, build it up, go to the tournament year after year, win a game, go to the Sweet 16, awesome. But then the last four or five years weren't like that. Okay. So now what happens now? Uh, Chris says, good hire. It will keep Utah from being relevant anytime soon. Oh, a rival taking a shot. So what is that? That's a BYU fan? or I assume so. Because I don't think an Aggie fan would crack on Craig Smith like that after three trips to the attorney. So I'm going to assume BYU fan. West Jordan went to Jordan High from Sandy, Utah. From your religious neighborhood in Sandy, PK. All right, DJ and PK, you can hit us up. More reaction coming up. Kyle Whittingham, Utah football coach. His Monday availability. The running backs are speaking today. That's coming up at 8 o'clock. Stay with us. This segment brought to you by SNS Roofing. Their huge winter and spring sales event is going on now where you can save thousands on a new roof. Call pound 250 and say SNS Roofing for your free bid. PK, you saw a uh, quote from Doc Rivers over the weekend, and it got you thinking, didn't it? Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. He said the Clippers and Lakers are the team to beat in the West. Glenn. If you've been on our Facebook page, PK put this up, add Doc Rivers, who said the Clippers and Lakers are the teams to beat in the West, to the list of those doubting us. What's with these people? They're doubting DJ and PK? They should. You don't have three-point range, and my knee could explode at any second. So could my heart. <laughs> Your heart is full. My heart is crushed, especially on Monday mornings. But, uh, yeah, I think this is blatant disrespect. The Clippers? The Clippers. What the crap have the Clippers ever done? He doesn't want to dump on the Clippers. We didn't have to include he coached them. Him. And the Clippers haven't done anything, but Kawhi Leonard has. And I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah, it really made a big difference last year as they blew a 3-1 lead. 
I should have put them. They're energized because they got Rajon Rondo. All the rivals made a move. A significant move. And the Jazz added some, what's that guy's name again? Matt Thomas? Yes. Now, I'm not saying they should have made a move by any stretch because they got a good thing going on. Uh, but, but the Clippers? I, I think it, I think he went out of his way to put the Jazz in their place. He wanted to slap him down? Why have the Jazz irritated Doc Rivers? I don't get it. I think it was blatant disrespect that you wouldn't put them in there. If you want to put the Clippers in there, then you got to put the Jazz in there. If you want to put the Lakers in and keep it at the Lakers level, okay, I'm fine with that. But if you want to put the Clippers in, then it's got to be the Jazz too. Teresa says, I love it. More reason for the Jazz to quietly keep moving ahead of all the other teams, getting the kinks in the offense and defense worked out. More reasons to give our team motivation to show the unbelievers who the Jazz are and how much heart the players have. A non-believer. An unbeliever. You're an unbeliever. Ugh. <laughs> You're unbelievable. I mean, come on. The Clippers... Clippers don't deserve any more respect than they're getting. Don says, respect? Let's win a championship and then hear their excuses. That'll shut them all up. That's a great thing about it, man. They have an opportunity to just shut everyone up. And nobody can say a thing. That's exciting. Jonathan understands it. He says, well... No significant playoff experience yet, i.e. conference semis or beyond. They've been to the conference semis the second round a couple times, and they've gone, uh, what, one and eight? There's one and four and one and five, right? Warriors and Rockets made short work of them. All right, we've got to take a break right now to get back for the always prompt Kyle Whittingham. Coming up at 8 o'clock or possibly 7, 59, 27. So Yawk says break now, and we'll be back with Kyle Whittingham. Stay with us. DJ and PK in the morning brought to you by Mark Miller Subaru. Kyle Whittingham coming up momentarily. The running backs are talking today. Youth spring football continues on. We've heard from the quarterbacks and the quarterback battle, and right after that, the next most interesting thing is the running back battle. Going to the transfer portal, trying to find who is going to be the next star running back for the University of Utah. And, of course, the question might be, how good is the offensive line going to be? Because if the O-line's really good, then maybe multiple guys could do it. But we'll see if they, uh, if they have a pecking order established, a hierarchy that Kyle wants to talk about or not. You got any expectations there, PK? Yes, I do. What would you yes. expect? Well, uh, well, one of these three guys to emerge, and maybe the fourth guy, this incoming freshman, Parks, I think his name is, because that's the pattern in Utah. You know, that's that, that's why I don't really count last year's game against SC, because Ty Jordan emerged in that game. Well, if they would have had the non-conference games, he would have been ready to go that game. He would have been that much further. Let's just look where he was in game three versus game one. 
well, under a normal season, they would have had the three games, right? And so mm-hmm. by the time they get to SC, that would have been game four. The schedule played out if that's the way it was. I don't remember if that was their first game or not. But the point being, when they go into this situation, like basically what they've had this year, they've had the same thing because we know that Moss left last year, and so then they had these guys who were on the roster unproven, thought they had something, new guy coming in, freshman. Now the tragedy with uh, uh, Ty Jordan ends up being the same situation. You don't have anybody who's proven as a running back at the University of Utah, but if you look at what Kyle likes – he likes one guy to receive the majority of the carries and then other guys spell him. And obviously that was Moss and then it was Ty Jordan. So they're going to use that, I would think, the non-conference games to find out exactly who it is and then go from there. And last year, Jordan jumped off the uh, the football field basically as you say, wow, this kid, man. And then sure enough, that's exactly what he was. Uh, here, I don't know that any of those guys are as good as this guy, as as Ty was. I can't say that, but I suspect that they're going to find someone who's going to be the leader in carries, and he's going to get two-thirds of the carries. Because if they don't, well, mm, it's probably not what Kyle wants, no matter what he says. Because <laughs> rather than what he says is what look what he does, and that's what they do. And Andy Ludwig now is in control of the offense, obviously. The offense is in very much capable hands. I think he's an outstanding coordinator. And they'll figure it out. I suspect that they'll figure it out because it seemed to always do. So when I asked that, I wondered if you had heard which running back was coming ahead and was pulling ahead, if there was somebody getting the upper hand or if it's too early. I think it's too early. I, I, just, I don't put a lot of stock in spring ball. It's really hard for me to get excited about what I see in spring ball. I, have a, I tell this story. I have a friend who's a passionate Ute fan, and there was a local kid in spring ball. He ran for over 100 yards, and my friend was so excited about him. He went to the spring game, blah, blah, blah. I brought up his name. I just kind of, yeah, well, I don't think the kid even ran for 100 yards in the season. So trying to gauge, and that was based off the spring game, and now hardly anybody has a spring game. They Basically, it's a spring practice. And they let fans in usually, and if put they them can, on TV, and the whole yeah. league's watching. I mean, yesterday so they don't want to do the, anything. Yesterday was the Sun Devils, uh, yeah, because the league sets it up, and I think they had five thousand fans in there, which is pretty good because they were, you know, they hadn't, you know, played the one or two home games last year, and they had, uh, I think, they only played one, and they had uh, no fans, and they had fifty-two hundred fans in there, and they ran around a little bit, and I, I flicked it over and I watched it. This is stupid. I mean, I'm really not going to glean anything from this. So I'm not discounting competition, and that's what these 15 practices are. But I don't know that I can make a conclusive uh, statement that it's uh, Pledger or Bernard or, or whoever. I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, in the position to say that. Now, maybe Kyle will say it. And like uh, when he came on last week, I think, what, Friday, and said Brewer was way ahead. Although that's sort of obvious since he's the only guy who has any experience right now because rising's out. So that was no surprise there. And I think with running backs, you know, you're going you're gonna to get your chance and you're going to get it immediately. And so what do you do with that chance is up to you. You know, with the running backs, we're always looking for the, we're always looking for the yards after contact. And so until they allow guys to play with contact, 
you know, how do you how do you grade that? I mean, it's a, it's probably not as hard as uh, grading out quarterbacks because they're not live and they can't be hit. And so it's hard to know until they can be hit exactly how they're going to perform. It rattles some guys. Other guys need the adrenaline rush to really play their best. So it's always dicey grading out quarterbacks when you're not letting them get hit. And you can't let them get hit because you can't have that many injuries because you don't have the depth to handle it. And it's a similar deal at running back. And so until you see what they can do with the yards after contact, it's hard to know for sure what they're gonna, how they're going to perform and, and which guy you really want to go with. Yeah, I agree. But sometimes they, the coaches figure it out and they have an idea anyway. Well, I think that's, that's, that's what will help with the non-conference games next season. Weber State to open it up. Uh, you know, the other thing is that coaches can, in a situation like this, and the Utes are, this is very rare for Kyle to be running behind, but for whatever reason they are. So we're still waiting. We'll get to him when he sits down. Uh, Yak's got his eye on it, and he'll let us know. Um, <clears throat> uh, I think that uh, – and now I lost my train of thought. Seriously, I can't do two things at once. Come on. can Well, apparently not, since they just dropped the ball right there. <laughs> <laughs> just, just flat out dropped it, Coach. I got no excuses. I dropped it. Well, oh, the tra- it was about uh, Kyle speaking out in a situation like this. You have to be careful what you say because kids can transfer. But when you're dealing at two positions where kids have already transferred in, you've probably got a little more room to speak freely and honestly. Running back will be a little different than quarterback. Uh, the senior in front of the freshman isn't as big a threat because he's going to be gone in another year anyway, and the job will be open again. So, all right, Kyle's sitting down right now. Here's Kyle Whittingham getting ready to address the media, uh, his uh, Zoom press conference. Here's Kyle. With Coach Whittingham now to start off the Monday morning media availability with some opening comments, and then we'll go to questions. Thank you, Coach. Okay, sorry, guys, about the uh, delay. We had uh, some logistical issues this morning. Uh, but anyway, here we are. Uh, not a lot to uh, talk about from my point of view different than what we had Friday. Uh, other than we did have a really uh, outstanding practice on Saturday. It was the first live work of, uh, of the spring. And so it was good to uh, see the, uh, the guys when there was uh, no, no limitations. And uh, it, was, it was a positive practice, uh, still continue to make progress. And uh, we're now, what, uh, two weeks down, three weeks to go. And we'll be on the field uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday this week. Uh, getting the weekend off and then finish off uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday in the success of two weeks. So, so things are going well. Uh, no uh, major issues at this point. And uh, that's where we're at. So questions. We'll start off with Trevor Allen, KSLSports.com. Kyle, when, when you look at the running back position last year, you, you had a, a four-horse race uh, going into the season, and then, uh, you know, Ty, Ty Jordan emerged, and now you've got three running backs and then Ricky coming in um, later. Do you, do you see this being a similar situation going into fall camp, or, or is there a guy emerging now? As of now, a very similar situation as last year going into fall camp. Uh, with the three guys that we got uh, at the top of the chart now and then adding Ricky Parks in the summer, and that could change. You know, we still got nine practices left this spring, and, and uh, you know, things can happen. People can uh, you know, work their way up or down the depth chart, as the case may be. But, but as it sits right now, that looks like the most, uh, I won't say logical, but the most, uh, that I think that's the best bet is that it will be a four-guy four 
uh, competition between the four guys we're talking about with TJ Pledger, Chris Curry, Makai Bernard, who are here with us now, and then Ricky Parks uh, being added in the summer. Next, we'll go to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, Josh. Um, specifically with Pledger and Curry, you know, they're coming from, you know, two power five programs. They played at a high level. What do they bring to the room in terms of, you know, the maturity and the um, experience factor? Also? Well, just those two things for sure. Uh, to start with maturity and, and experience, they both have uh, been in programs that uh, you know, very successful and, and uh, they're, they're good players. And that's something that we, we desperately needed to add to the room is, is more talent. And uh, they're, they're so far, as I mentioned last week, I think it was the transition they've made is, has been very good. Their work habits, uh, everything, they, they know the, the, uh, the deal in, in big time college football. I mean, they've been there, done that. So this is, this is nothing new to them. And, and uh, so far they fit right in. Just to follow that up, I know that you've addressed this already, but can you just speak to the differences in, in maybe their styles and, and how they play? Yeah, uh, TJ, uh, more of a, a scat back. I guess you could maybe compare him to John White uh, that was here uh, several years ago, a terrific running back for us, and uh, more of that type of a runner, uh, whereas Chris Curry's a bigger kid and, and more uh, tackle-to-tackle uh, oriented, although he does have good speed and quickness to get outside, but but he's a much bigger kid, uh, 20, 25 pounds heavier than, than TJ, and so uh, that's the, you know, the two differences in those guys. Next, we'll go back to Trevor Allen. What does it say about the progress of, of your program when you can get two running back transfers from schools like Oklahoma and LSU? Well, we're related to have them, and uh, I think that our track, uh, our track record and past history with uh, running backs has been very good here as far as a production, and I think it's an attractive place for running backs to come. They, they know that uh, we're going to be – Running the ball, uh, a very balanced attack. Running the ball you know, half the time, and, and uh, I think that's something that uh, it's, you know, it's running back friendly, and so running backs uh, definitely have an interest in our program. That's something that uh, in the recruiting uh, that goes on, we've uh, definitely found out that uh, we're we're <laughs> we're very attractive to the running backs in this program. And then to, to a follow up on that, um, just on, on the old line, um, you've, you've obviously moved Nick, Nick Ford over to center. What does that mean for Orlando Umana? Orlando's uh, working hard and he's, uh, you know, we've got the inside three positions that uh, he fits in any one of those threes, left guard, center, right guard. And that's typical. The inside guys typically uh, can play uh, any three of those spots. And, and Orlando's working for one of those spots right now. Um, and then the outside two guys, you know, are typically you know, right tackle or left tackle oriented, not not uh, cross training inside. So that that's how we separate. All the inside guys get work, pretty much all three positions, uh, but the outside guys stay stay on the edge. But uh, Orlando is having a good spring so far. Uh, he was a little banged up at the end of last season. He's feeling better now, and uh, he's competing every day. Our next question will come from Bill Riley, ESPN 700. Al, good morning. Good morning, Bill. Um, just curious, you know, you talked about the running styles of the running backs. Um, 
throwing the ball out of the backfield has become a big part of it. Maybe with limited numbers of wide receiver, it could be a bigger part of your offense this fall. How do those three guys uh, compare to some pass backs and catching the ball out of the backfield? They've all three got excellent hands and, and uh, run, run run good routes and very capable. Uh, we've had some terrific backs that can catch the ball out of the backfield. Uh, Devontae Booker's probably the best we ever had here at that particular skill. And uh, But these guys, uh, are all three seem to uh, be complete backs as far as uh, running the football, catching out of the backfield, and picking up blitzes. And that's really what uh, what you're looking for in a running back is, is a guy that can do all three of those things. Okay, do we have any other questions? One more from Steve Bartle. Morning, Coach. Um, we talked a lot about the uh, the transfers, but I'd be curious to hear about the progress of Makai Bernard. He's, you know, he kind of showcased some things last year in limited reps, but just curious to hear his progress. Yeah, he's uh, come a long way since he's gotten the program. Uh, he's gotten himself bigger and stronger. Uh, he's close to 200 pounds now. Uh, smart kid, uh, and probably if you had to uh, look at just the live work on Saturday, he probably graded the best of the three. Uh, when you talk about just that one isolated uh, portion of practice, which which we uh, put a lot of weight on, you know, the the, uh, the live work is what we uh, you know consider the, the the best barometer of where the players are and what uh, where they're at in the pecking order. And, and Makai really had a good Saturday for us. Okay, thank you very much, Coach. Okay, thank you. There's Kyle Whittingham. All right, PK. Read between the lines when I hear that uh, when I hear that Pledger's uh, uh, a little uh, a little more able to go outside, maybe uh, not quite the power back. I think maybe he's got a little edge there. But then he pumps up Bernard at the end for being good in the live work, which matters the most. Can you read the tea leaves and try to figure out who's got the edge? Yeah, I'm going to go with the incoming freshman, Parks, who isn't there yet. Good call by you. <laughs> well, I would suspect that Bernard would be because they've had six practices, and he was there last year under Andy. So Andy's not going to change a whole lot of stuff. Now, what Andy does very well is that he does adapt to his personnel because he spoke about that when he first got there. You know, when he was with Wisconsin, they they're – they just breed those offensive linemen <laughs> left and right up there. Double tight and, ends and run yeah, it. And run the ball. I mean, they've, let's talk about Utah, man. Wisconsin is right there. Uh, and so he, he mentioned that. And then he was with other places when they had to throw the ball more. So uh, I think the world, Andy Ludwig, is an offensive coordinator. So he does adapt to his talent. But right now he's putting in a system and getting Brewer up to speed and all this stuff. And so there's probably a lot of familiarity that Bernard has. And the other guys are just barely on campus and they're six practices into it. And there's plenty of time for them to get a hold of what they need to do. So it doesn't surprise me right now that Bernard would have a little bit of a lead. But it's, you know, it's like halfway through the first quarter in an NBA game to, to give you uh, like that. You know, if you get down 10-2, to two, you call a timeout, but you don't panic. And so if I'm the other two guys, uh, I don't have any sense of panic, like, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to get out of the field. I don't think that that's it. So there's plenty of time for them to go forward to see what they're going to do, and then they'll be there, and they'll get to that point. Because even if you get to the point where you're going to get to a point, obviously, for game one, against Weaver, you're going to have a starter. You're going to have some form of a depth chart of a starter and a second-team guy. But 
even then, even if you've had, so at that point, what do they have, like 28 spring practices or something, and then the 15, or not spring, but I mean uh, training camp practices, and then the 15. So you're approaching somewhere in the 40, 45 range of practices. And then you have the games. And even then, it can change. I wouldn't be surprised if it does change because what I'm saying is I don't know that the the starter of game one against Weber Will be the starter is for going game to four. receive yeah. receive two thirds of the carries. I don't know that. There's a lot of unknown. All right, we're going to catch up with uh, Utah running back coach Kyle McDonald right now. He is sitting down. And uh, we're going to hear from the running backs coach right now, and then the running backs will be up after that. It's good, man. Hey, I wanted to ask you, what specifically, what traits specifically did you guys identify with TJ Pledger and Chris Curry that made you feel like these guys would be the, the best backs to bring into Utah? Well, first and foremost, starting with TJ Pledger, um, he was a, a weekly all-conference performer um, against Texas. So I watched that game extensively uh, with myself, Coach Witt, um, and a number of people on staff. What you got a chance to see about that young man is not only could he catch the ball, but he breaks a lot of tackles and he's very elusive. So we thought that um, with his technique and his skill set that he can come into this offense and be very, very productive. Next about, uh, we're talking about Chris. Um, Chris is a big physical kid. He runs downhill. Um, really paid a lot of attention to that Sugar Bowl game um, that he had against Oklahoma, um, where he's getting downhill, running through tackles, got a chance to get more and more carries. And you see, you saw that he got stronger and stronger as the game went on. So um, I think that just kind of fits who we are, who we've been. Uh, big, tough, physical guys that can have uh, some run after contact. We'll go next to Cole Bagley of the Daily Utah Chronicle. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good morning. How's everything going? Great. So I just wanted to get an idea. Um, if you'd explain uh, the process of how you brought these two new transfers and Curry and Pledger in so quickly. Um, right fit. Uh, these guys want to come into a situation. We've done. We have a great tradition here at the running back position. Um, this is a run first team. There's no secret about that. Um, we run to win, and that's just kind of a philosophy of what we do. Um, and they were looking for a place where they can come in and compete right now. This I'm all about competition. Uh, the best player will play. The best player will win. Um, that that player will start, and they wanted that opportunity. So they were looking for a school that um, was able to grant them that opportunity. So it just kind of worked out for for both uh, the players and us. And just a quick follow up: um, once one committed, did that have an effect on the other at all? No. Uh, told both of them that we we're going to wind up bringing another guy in, and at the end of the day, it's all about competing and competition, and. We're going to go out here and, and, and run the rock, and uh, the best player will get it. We'll go next to Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Kyle, good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, if you're comfortable speaking about this, you know, what have the last three months been like for you from an emotional standpoint, just, you know, trying to process uh, and grieve Ty Jordan's death? Mm. Gotcha. Um when you talk about that process, uh, very tough. Uh, Ty and I were very extremely close. Um, 
and there's always going to be ups and downs. But at the end of the day, we're a family here and family uh, looks out for each other. You know, got a chance to uh, talk to his family that's down there in, in Texas and in Dallas and the people that are surrounded, uh, that were surrounded with him for his success uh, a lot. And we've gotten a chance to become very close. And again, we'll do anything that we can for them, love them for sure. Uh, but it's just uh, one day at a time. You know, it's like losing a family member. You're going to have good days, you're going to have bad days. Um, but you just got to understand that you loved them, they loved you, and you you're hoping that they're at peace. Thank you, Kyle. We'll go next to Hans Olsen, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Coach, how difficult is it keeping current players on roster happy? How much work goes into that? Um, and, and is it different than it used to be? Um, it's a little bit different uh, now because uh, you're – we're getting ready to get that one-time transfer uh, done. Uh, guys have an opportunity to go ahead and leave. You have the portal that didn't exist before as well, so guys can hop into the portal and, and wind up going. The problem is, is there's a misconception about the portal. There's a lot of guys sitting in the portal that do not have a home, and a lot of guys don't understand that. Uh, it's really more, I think it was like a third of the guys that hopped into the portal uh, wound up receiving a scholarship. So you might be a person that you might want want to uh, transition to somewhere else, but the grass is not always greener on the other side, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a tough process, but it's all about who you recruit. It is about who you recruit and what the situation is. You know, I've had uh, guys that wound up leaving the program because they wanted to play. You know, we had uh, Ty Jordan and he was an All-American. He's an all-conference performer. And I had about four or five guys that were very, very talented. You know, uh, for example, TJ Green winds up going to Liberty. TJ Green's a very good football player, you know, but I didn't know that a freshman was going to come in here, in here and take the reins, you know. So uh, these guys have dreams, too. It does. So it, I think each each situation is mutually exclusive. It's 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 a base on base by base basis um, for sure. So uh, it's, it is different for sure. It is. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that we are going to treat them as men, respect them. But that's not going to change us coaching them hard. When when you uh, bring in a guy like Pledger and a guy like Curry, do you go to guys on roster, guys like Bernard and others, and say, "Hey, we're bringing in these guys. Are they consulted, or 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 is this just done and then told?" Like, how do you address that with these guys? Uh, I told Makai that we're going to bring in some guys. We're going to rebuild the room. We had one guy on on scholarship on campus, <laughs> so that, I think that's kind of. Uh, I think he understood that part of it. Um, consulted? No, no. We're, I'm not consulting anybody uh, because at the end of the day, we got to do what's what's best for the program. At the end of the day, so we needed to rebuild the room. We went and got guys that can play uh the best guy we identified guys that can play for the u and we're going to go and compete you can't be scared of competition you can't because if you're scared of competition this is not the place for you our last two will come from cole bagley and steve bartle yeah coach previously uh head coach kyle whittingham talked um very highly about the development of makai bernard i just wanted to get your assessment on how far he's come he's coming uh, we're getting better, uh, blade of grass at a time. You know, got a chance to see flashes on Saturday of what he can do. When things break down, we can get out around the corner. But uh, there's things that we got to continue to work on. He's making strides, um, and 
he's he is getting better in all facets of the game, whether it's running the ball, blocking, uh, pass catching. Uh, he's doing a good job, and he's coming along. Last one from Steve Bartle. Uh, well, Coach, uh, you were high on Makai Bernard during his recruitment. Uh, he's, you know, got a lot of potential. Just talk about his growth from day one to now. Exponential. Uh, he has exponentially grown. Um, he's grown as a man, uh, and he's grown as a football player. He's become more mature. When Makai got here, Makai was 17 years old when he got here. He was young. You know, he's just still been in high school. You know, he – he graduated uh, a year before he was supposed to, you know, so it's a maturation process, you know, so to see uh, how he was when he first got here, you know, um, and to where he is now running strong, running physically, uh, it's, it's been good to see. So, and I think that he's got a lot in the tank um, and he knows exactly what he needs to do. So I'm fired up to see where he goes. All right, there's uh, Kyle McDonald, the Utah running back coach, and PK pumping up uh, Makai Bernard right there, who uh, was a 17-year-old freshman. He should have been in high school. Have we heard that before? Doesn't matter. No. And now he's caught up. He's redshirt, and then the freshman year in 2020 doesn't count. So he's still a freshman, and now he, uh, I don't know, do the math, 17, 18, must be 19 now, right? Uh, out of Gar High School in uh, Long Beach, so... We'll see Which how is right off the freeway, by the way. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Ninety one. You can see it. You pass it like, right by it. Is it like uh, skyline here, right off the freeway, or Lehigh here, right off the freeway? Oh, it's literally clear right field on the freeway. It would be like uh, what's the school in Nephi? Juab. Juab. Yeah, right there, right there. You can see it. Big bold letters they've got. It's un. It's uh, unmistakable. So. Uh, see what he can do. I love how these guys like to tell you, and hey, uh, there's no guarantee you'll get a scholarship if you go in the portal. See, that's all about the agenda. Don't put yourself in the portal because you may not get a scholarship. Kyle did tell us on Friday that there's uh, one scholarship for every four or five guys right, in the portal. Right, they managed to tell you that because that means don't leave me. See, they, they, everyone has an agenda. That's, that's, that's the point they're making. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. DJ PK, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Chris Curry, Utah running back, transfer from LSU, part of their championship team in 2019. Now a Ute, he's sitting down. Here he is. Um, you know, for you, uh, we, we haven't had the opportunity to hear from you, but ultimately what led to your, what led to your decision to come to Utah? Uh, to send out my, my family, praying about it. Uh, I feel like it was the right decision to make. Next question will come from Trevor Allen of KSL Sports. You uh, played, played with uh, Joe Burrow and, uh, you know, ha- haven't talked to other LSU people. They've, they've said that in, in that Sugar Bowl game, he, you know, really preached to the coaches to, to start you. What, what was it like playing for a guy like Joe Burrow? Uh, first and foremost, Joe, Joe Burrow is an amazing guy, uh, a great, great character, just a great human being. Uh, it's, it's an honor just to play with a just to say to play with a Heisman Trophy winner, uh, and for him to speak up for me, it, it just speaks volume. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Obviously, you were part of the. 
LSU team that, that won the national championship. What what things did you learn from that, and what what can you bring now to this program from from that opportunity? Uh, physicality, toughness, uh, the swagger. You know, we played with a lot of swagger, and I feel like we could bring that to uh, University of Utah. Next question will come from Bill O'Reilly with ESPN 700. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. So you, you said it was a family decision and you prayed on it, but clearly there had to be some football related in there too. What was it you liked about the Utah football program and how much did you know about Utah before you before you made the decision to come here? Oh, uh, it's crazy. I really didn't know nothing from you, like nothing at all from Utah. Uh, the speaking with Coach McDonald, Coach Mack, uh, he really guided me, took me in like a father figure and just showed me the ropes. Uh, I think guys like Makai showing me the ropes too around in Utah. Any more questions, Chris? All right, thank you, Chris. Well, there were some short, definitive answers right there, PK. Did he say, he said Kyle, oh, oh Kyle Whittingham and Coach McDonald, okay. We said Coach Mack. That caught my ear there. Yeah, for, for a second there. I what was did Ron like, McBride Hold on. <laughs> Ronnie Mack? Yeah. Which wouldn't surprise me. Uh, absolutely. I mean, Coach McBride knows people everywhere. He really does. All right. Here's TJ Pledger now. Good morning, TJ. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. So you probably had a lot of offers when you went into the portal. What, what led you to choose Utah over the other schools? Um, you know, really just the, the tradition Utah holds at the uh, running back position and um, just building a great relationship with uh, Coach McDonald. And you, know, you just being able to, you know, look at the opportunity and understand what the position I'm walking into and, uh, you know, aiming to take advantage of that. Next question will come from Steve Bardo at the Ute Zone. TJ, you had an incredible high school career in Southern California. I'm sure you've got a lot of friends and family uh, that are excited to to have you closer to home. What's that like? What's that feeling like to to be able uh, to have the opportunity to play in front of your friends and family now? Man, that means everything. You know, winding down my college career, you know, being able to come back to this side of the, of the coast and, and play in front of my family and, you know, new fans, you know, it means a lot to me. And uh, just being able to play guys, you know, for, for a while I haven't played a lot of people that I know because I've been in the Big 12, you know. But coming back to the West Coast and being able to play some familiar faces, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. Next question will come from Bill Riley with ESPN 700. TJ, now that you've been here for a minute and you've had a couple of weeks of practice, mm-hmm. how are you acclimating to Andy Ludwig's offensive system and, and what do you make of the, the talent around you in this team? Mm-hmm. Man, you know, I think we, we got a great team, you know, being around these guys, being able to, you know, transition from winter workouts to spring and seeing some of these guys move around and play, you know, you know, this is a fast physical team, and uh, especially on the uh, on both sides of the ball, but up front, you know, on, on both, definitely up front on both sides. But, um, yeah, and, uh, you know, it's been going good. You know, uh, the offense, I'm loving it. Um, you know, just, just trying to work on different things every day just so I can, you know, be my best self and, you know, be able to play fast and, you know, not have to think. So everything's going good. Next question will come from Cole Bagley with the Utah Daily Chronicle. Good morning, TJ. How are you? I'm good. How you doing? Doing great. I'm um, just curious, 
you know, you, uh, since you've joined the program now, are there any areas of, of your game that you're focusing on specifically or any areas of your game that the coaches have told you that you need to improve before the season starts? Well, you know, me, uh, you know, looking back at last season, you know, I, I kind of want to evolve my game in, in every aspect, physicality, speed, you know, uh, explosive plays, route running, everything. So, you know, I'm an open book right now. And, you know, whatever the coaches, whatever the coaches, you know, want to work on with me, you know, I'm open to it and just continue to develop my game and so I can play at the highest level possible. So I would say all around. All right. That was your final question. Thank you, TJ. Thank you. The running back room. So, place a few words, PK. Uh, I thought Pleasure had Brief more and direct. Words. I thought it was fine. More? Yeah, okay, more words. Those are pretty short sessions right there. All right, so there you go. There are the two running backs who uh, have transferred into the program. TJ Pledger uh, coming from Oklahoma as a junior, and Chris Curry, a sophomore from LSU, and they're competing with. Uh, Makai Bernard, who uh, we heard earlier, if you just joined us, we heard from Kyle Whittingham. We heard from uh, Kyle McDonald, the running backs coach. Uh, Bernard was uh, impressive and has progressed a lot. He was impressive Saturday when they uh, allowed some contact there and went live in their practice. So he's a freshman. So they're the three running backs who seem to be jumping out right now and seem to be uh, battling for playing time. Well, yeah, those are the guys they got. So those are the three right now. And a lot of the other kid down the road. Uh, so... Competition, the more competition you can have, particularly at running back, uh, I think that uh, it was really bodes well for you because you know you can get playing time if you are the best that you can be. You can get out on that field. It's different than in quarterback where you, know, you could be really good but not get out on the field. And we've seen that with a number of quarterbacks. I mean, they just brought up uh, what's-his-face down at LSU. Joe Burrow. Yeah. I mean, he didn't get out on the field at Ohio State, right? So he leaves. And Justin Fields was at Georgia, and he leaves. Well, running back, I don't think you have to do that. You know that you can get out on the field if you're – given everything you have, and deserve to get out there. Yeah, the second guy gets in. If, if, the, if the starter goes two or three possessions, he's going to need a break. If he breaks off a 40 or 50-yarder, he'll probably come to the sideline. And there's situational stuff, too. You can be the third down back, and then once you have a role, you can expand it a little bit because you play well. So there's opportunities that don't exist for a quarterback. Right. So you know, these guys here, you know, they're transferring – and obviously there's a reason that they're transferring, so maybe they appreciate the opportunity a little bit more. I'm not so caught up that they're coming over from big-name programs because obviously LSU and Oklahoma are big-name programs. We understand that. Uh, Utah, in my mind, as far as running back, it's a big-name program too. And, you know, It may not have the overall – the luster and glory relative to Oklahoma and LSU. I understand that. But at the, I'm speaking specifically at the running back position. At the running back position, they are a big-name program as far as I'm concerned because that's why they're getting guys from big-name programs because at the running back spot, they are a big-name program. They want to come here because they know – as a McDonald, and we can uh, cut that up, y'all can save that, you know. We run to win. Because when he said that, 
I heard you fans a little bit of cringing there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> it is true, but they haven't won. They've won a lot, but they want the win at the higher level, and you're close. It's not like your University of Arizona where you're way down and just trying to get where Utah is is an amazing, amazing accomplishment. If this new coach Fisher can do that in the next year or two, man, he'll, well, what he'll do is he'll take off and go someplace else. But nevertheless, that would be a great uh, advancement of their program. Utah's already there. That's been established. And now they're really close. They're literally a game away from going to the Rose Bowl in their, what, their uh, eighth and ninth years in the conference. I think that's pretty awesome. But yet they haven't gotten it done, right? So what's it going to take? And it's and I think from the Utah's fans' perspective, it's not going to take run the ball more because hmm. they already do that. It's going to take have success, more success in the throw game, as Kyle Whittingham likes to say. So uh, but then you have McDonald. We run the football here. Yeah, we run the ball to win. Yeah, that's what we do, you bleeper bleepers. And so forget you. This is what we do. Now, that's his position, too. And he's going to be judged a lot. Uh, two things, you know, recruiting and then his position being successful. Well, running back coach at Utah, man, you got a leg up because you're probably going to be successful because the boss really wants it. <laughs> well, running backs can be anywhere. I mean, there are plenty of uh, big-time schools, Ohio State and USC and Georgia and Alabama, who've you know turned out NFL thousand-yard rushing running backs. But hey, so did UTEP. So you know you can be from anywhere. So did Illinois State, and they got thousand-yard rushers in the NFL. So. You could be from anywhere. You don't have to get too hung up on that. On that, I mean, the bigger schools don't tend to miss on running backs. They make sure they get a good one. So that's why you see those guys in the NFL. And I think Utah belongs in that category now. Well, they've they've put multiple guys into the. NFL they are now. a bigger yeah. school, as far as I'm concerned. And they were doing they were putting running backs in the NFL when they were in the Mountain West. I mean, they've been doing it for a long time. There's a lot of names to point to, but this the Pac-12 running backs, the Pac-12 era running backs have have carved out a good space in the NFL. That's what he does. Yeah. As I say, I, I think some some Ute fans were cringing a little bit when McDonald, we run to win. Sure, you do, and you win a lot. Now, could you win the Pac-12 title game? But but because <laughs> that one would really pump everybody up. I know you're in a conference though that doesn't necessarily run to win. No, the conference has got an awesome history of providing NFL quarterbacks. And guys on the other end catching the ball too. Yeah, NFL wide receivers. You're right, and, and so you know you gotta you gotta get better at that. You you have to if you want to be the last team standing in December, and you gotta get better at that. Uh, but you gotta be careful because you can't strip your identity completely and go doing things that you're not set up to do. That's where I think Ludwig comes in and is such a great asset to the program. Because he has so much experience that he can figure out what we need to do and really put guys in the, in the position to succeed is because of his experience of evaluating the talent and how it fits together collectively and individually and what's the best way to utilize that talent. I mean, I think that particularly at that position at play caller, and it's probably every position and every job everywhere across the country, every world for that matter, but I especially think on – offensive coordinators, experience. I was thinking about this over the weekend because, you know, you see Zach Wilson, who 
wasn't offered a scholarship by Utah. And now he's going to go second in the draft, and he's he's literally just 20 miles from campus. Yikes. <laughs> There's no other way to put it. That just that hurts. That leaves a mark. There's a big old bruise there. Yeah. And, and, and the thing is, like, it's not going to get missed because coaches negatively recruit, and those other staffs aren't missing anything. And this is going to come up to the next quarterback they recruit. It's going to come up to the next five quarterbacks they recruit. It's going to come up to quarterbacks until this staff puts a quarterback in the NFL. They're just going to keep bringing it up. Well, they, they, Tyler Huntley did play in the NFL. Uh, but also, too, the other staff at BYU missed on him. Let's not forget that. Not, not really covering themselves in glory. The other staff, which was all changed over. Yeah. And, and fortunately... For uh, Fessy Sataki and Aaron Roderick, they had a relationship with Zach Wilson. And those are the guys largely responsible. And he wanted to stay home, if at all possible. And who doesn't understand that if you want to have your family there? And, and heaven knows the program is a lot better with Lisa Wilson being there and sitting on the front row and, and having her go off on Instagram. And now she gets to revel in it. Uh, my wife uh, coaches golf, and she was telling me that there's this golfer, I won't name names, uh, but uh, the, the gal's mom just prances around like she's all that. Yeah, because her kid's all that. We Every every parent whose kid is all that prances around. <laughs> it's just the way it is. So the kid wanted to stay home, and they took advantage of that. But they miss. And the point I was making, you know, maybe they miss. And Ty Detmer, everybody loved him and all, but he was a high school coach. And so when you're an offensive coordinator, you not only have to figure out your guys, but you have to anticipate what the other guy, the other defensive coordinator is doing. And it's a tough job. And I think Utah is in a great spot. I actually think both programs are in great spots because they have experienced guys. And we saw that when Jeff Grimes came in and then they bring Aaron Roderick. All of a sudden you went from very little experience to tons of experience. And I think we saw the difference there, particularly this last season. And I think we have seen a difference there at Utah's offense. So I'm optimistic that they'll have more success in all forms of offense this season. All right, DJ and PK coming up. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is going to join us at 9 o'clock. The Jazz are building another win streak. They've got some winnable games in front of them. And we'll get his thoughts on the Elite Eight and the regional finals. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The Big Show. The Big Show. With Jake Scott and Gordon Monson. Howard Beck, Sports Illustrated. The Jazz have the Grizzlies three times in six nights. You get the chance to really get to know an opponent just like you do in a playoff series and you scout them more. During a normal regular season, you're not tailoring your strategies to your opponent. It's not until the playoffs usually that you really seriously game plan based on who you're facing. Three games out of four, I would imagine, Quinn Snyder and his staff are actually digging into it a little bit more. It's also a team that conceivably the Jazz could be facing in a 1-8 matchup. That'll make things interesting. A little bit more of a chess match, perhaps. I mean, I knew this season, obviously, they're getting teams to play twice in a row quite often but three times in four games that's wild catch the big show weekdays from two to seven presented by big o tires the team you trust on 97.5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network and now really? your rocky mountain chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend really? well here we go last play of the game and has Johnson will let it fly. He's got plenty of distance. It's up in the air. Who's he got, got it? it? He caught it! He caught it! 
Justin Malone. Weaver State tight end Justin Malone hauls in the Hail Mary as time runs out, and Weaver State improves to 3-0 by beating PK's NAU Lumberjacks. Broke my heart. 28-23. Your Lumberjacks with a money drive. 95 yards against the clock for the go-ahead score with 17 seconds left, and yet they get their hearts broken anyway. They left too much time on the clock. They it's did. Always, 17 seconds was way too much. Always been problem. Leave too much time on the clock. And you two ding-dongs are looking for a play of the game, a play of the week, and you couldn't come up with it? Fact. Thank goodness you were here. thought it. Thank goodness you showed up. Thank goodness you were here. Jeez. They're traveling the that, – that play – I mean, I'm not going to put it up against Zach Wilson and the throw, but that ball was in the air a good 60 yards, was it not? And way in the air. Uh, the thing about Malone catching that Way ball, yes, you have to beat all the other defenders to it, but uh, it looked like that ball fell out of the sky out of like a 12th floor window or something. Uh, it was coming straight down at him. Heck of a catch. Yeah. And it wins the game in the number two team in the country in the FCS rankings is now 3-0. and Weber State gets the W. 50th career win for Jay Hill. So... All right, there it is. Know that today. That's a Chevy Strong play of the game. And know it today at 4.50 on the big show, and you can win fabulous prizes. All right, we got Steve Cleveland coming up. We're going to talk some hoops with him, talk about the uh, Jazz putting together a win streak here. And they got Cleveland at home tonight. Also, the Elite Eight with three Pac-12 teams in Gonzaga. We had a lot of rooting interest, storylines that uh, – uh, more fans uh, know and follow in this part of the country. The biggest surprise of all the teams is it uh, Oregon State or UCLA? USC's got talent. You can't be you can't be completely surprised that they're having success. But Oregon State and UCLA, I don't think anybody, don't think very many people in their brackets had either one of these teams in the Elite Eight. If you do, you're doing you're doing great in your bracket. No, I'm just so happy for Wayne Tinkle's daughters. <laughs> That's what you take away from this? This is the best moment of their lives. Yeah, I mean, I always thought SC had the best talent in the league. Uh, uh, Mobley. Mobley reminds me now he's not, he's not the player. But he's a very good player, and he'll go very high. But he's got like six and a half feet legs. He reminds <laughs> me of those old pitchers you used to see of Lou Alcindor. Uh, All legs. Like, yeah, he's like <laughs> these legs just never end, you know. You've seen them in those those black and white photos of uh, when Kareem was Lou Alcindor back when he Played was at UCLA. With, uh, yeah, yeah, and I, I I can picture this picture in my mind. He's got like well, it'd be black and white, so I assume it's like white shorts, and he's so skinny, but yet so just dramatically talented. Uh, you know, obviously, I, I I think this doesn't make any sense. But in terms of the greatest player of all time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the most underrated greatest player of all time. Wait, wait, wait. What category is this you just created? Greatest player of all time, the GOAT. Uh Uh-huh. Everything Jordan has, Abdul-Jabbar also has. Six titles. But (laughs) yes, he doesn't. but, but, but But Kareem got to play with Magic and Michael didn't. So the degree of difficulty... Let's face it, Magic made the game a little easier for the people around him. Uh, you could be the biggest Larry Bird, Michael Jordan honk ever, but you got to admit, Magic made the game a little easier. 
Well, no one, as Jake Scott will tell you a thousand times over, I'm the biggest Magic Johnson honk that there is. I understand that. But still, uh, yeah, and you're right. I, I can't argue that. And I'm not saying he should be, but I'm saying he doesn't even get discussed. But the, the titles, the points, the MVPs, I mean, yeah. he's got all that stuff just over and over and over. Right. But right. it's Jordan and it's Russell. What about Russell? And then and and it's LeBron. like right through, right through Kareem. Just right through him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. He should be. But Kareem got to play with Magic, and that he got five of six titles with Magic, and nobody else got to play with a player of that caliber. I mean, love Scottie Pippen, but come on. <laughs> it's not on the Magic shelf. That's not happening. And Russell played with a ton of Hall of Famers, but he didn't play with the Magic. Mm, okay. And at the same time, the uh, Bulls never had to go through the Celtics of the greatest Celtic mm-hmm. team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they may, may not the greatest, but they were awesome. They were. They were three-time champs their own. At that time, yeah. And so they had to go through that. And that's why I don't know that you can really compare errors and all that stuff. But I just think that uh, he doesn't get the respect he deserves. He should be in the discussion, and it should be right there. And, and that's what I think about that. But as far as SC goes, yeah, to me, Mobley is an extremely talented player. Uh, he's skinny in all legs. And so, yeah, I had to see them. I didn't know if they are going to go this far, but uh, to see them this far doesn't really surprise me. The other two, uh, you know, do we chalk it up to a crazy season? And it's all in. Uh, There's hot tourney runs every year, though. So I don't know that I can totally put it on that. But I would yeah, have to list them both as hot tourney runs. Okay, but multiples, having a low seeds like that uh, to, to advance, has there been that? I'm not a historian. And, and uh, probably not many. Back. I would think you're onto something there. I would say that the selection committee this year, of all the weirdness this year, there were so few non-conference games that for the selection committee to really sort out these seeds, especially when you get down into – you know, 6, 8, 10, 12. I mean, there's very little difference a lot of times. You can just see that looking at the history of the tournament and who wins 6, 11 games and who wins 7, 10 games. There's not much difference there. And so when you take away the non-conference games, you know, some tournaments happened, some didn't, and you take that stuff away, now the selection committee is just looking and you only play inside this little conference bubble. And so how do you compare conference to conference? It's never an easy job being the selection committee. It was probably harder this year. And there were probably teams that were seeded 11 who should have been sevens and all that kind of stuff. Would it, be, would it be so outrageous if they were, you know, a seven seed instead of an 11? Uh, perceivably not. But I think that uh, from, from the Bruins' standpoint, it's the four losses to end the yep. season. Yep. And, uh, but then you State. look at the teams they played in that run, and they played a lot of Sweet 16 and Elite 8 teams, as it turned out. Okay, yeah, all right. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider, is coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Steve Cleveland, our basketball insider. He joins us every week. Steve, good morning. Good morning. So, Steve, 
The Pac-12 is having an unprecedented run of, well, not unprecedented, but unprecedented in the last couple of decades run of success here. UCLA's in Elite Eight for the first time since 2008. USC for the first time in like 20 years. Oregon State for the first time in 39 years. You got anything to attribute this to? It's a crazy year. It's the pandemic. It's the NCAA tournament. Anything can happen. You got a reason? You got a trend? You know, I think one of the things that uh, the, the, all the unknowns with COVID and missing games and teams and what we normally would see a continuous season, you see a continuity that you could understand. Guys are out. Guys are hurt. You know, what? but there, there has been no rhyme or reason for a lot of the things that have happened where, a, you know, a college team can play 24 games and another one played 15. And so I think you have to attribute some of it to the unknowns and really all of the experts, you know, ranking <clears throat> the Pac-12 as uh, not having a real great year. And, and I don't think we knew all the circumstances. And another thing is that sometimes younger teams, younger players get better. And I think it's a combination of kind of both of those things. But, but certainly you've got really, really good coaches that uh, – have gotten their guys ready to play. I've watched these teams play more in the NCAA tournament than I did during the, the, the conference season. So uh, what I've seen is, you know, teams that defend, which is critical to winning in the, in the NCAA tournament. And uh, when you start looking at, you know, the Mobley brothers at, U- at, <clears throat> excuse me, at USC, you look at UCLA, who we all kind of saw up close and personal playing against BYU. Uh, and then Oregon State, I think a lot of people knew they were pretty good uh, going into the season, but probably are the biggest surprise. But all well coached, and but I just think a lot of it's just all the unknowns, where all the data, all the analytics, you can kind of throw it out the window right now. Hey, the tr- the truth is they got <clears throat> excuse me Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor. Uh, they got three of the four top seeds in, still playing, and probably will all be in the Final Four. But. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a crazy thing. Good for the Pac-12, and uh, they they've kind of resurrected themselves and uh, uh, have, have kind of changed the image of that league. And no better place to do it than getting to the fi- getting to the final eight. So we saw over the weekend that Utah hired Craig Smith, and he comes down from Logan. Expectations are high. I think you've been where Craig Smith has been, and you've been there twice. You were a glutton for punishment. I was thinking about this the other day. You took off our two programs. <laughs> Nobody said that I was were, very smart. Yeah, you took off our two programs that were way down, and actually neither program, well, Utah's program, I should say, was not as down as much as the programs that you took over. So I, I identify you and Larry Kostobiak as being in a similar situation. When Larry took over 10 years ago, the program was awful. Obviously, at BYU, when you took over, the program is awful. If Craig Smith were to call you and said, Steve, help me out here. Give me some advice on how to go about rebuilding this program. They're not dealing from a position of complete and total bottom like you were but nevertheless expectations i think are higher than when you and larry took over because craig smith is expected to win immediately what would you tell him well first of all just from what i do know about him and watching him i never have ever had a personal conversation with him but he already understands the really important things uh how important that locker room is how important chemistry is how important a work ethic is and, and just the, the culture of that program. And so 
that's going to come pretty quickly and naturally to him because that's who he is. And, and from what I understand, he's a great motivator and a real positive person. I think that the most important thing is reconciling, uh, you know, short-term needs with long-term goals. <laughs> and I think you get in a position sometimes as we reconcile those short-term needs, we, we have a tendency to maybe be a little bit impatient sometimes and we'll make a mistake or two. And, you know, my, my, my thinking to him would be, hey, be patient here. Obviously, the transfer portal is, uh, is kind of a source of quicker fixes and guys are available, people you've actually seen play at other schools. So the transfer portal is something that immediately they have to take a look at, but he can't compromise who he is and what his program is about and take at-risk kids. I mean, I don't, I don't see them doing that, but I, I would say this, that be patient with reconciling those needs of the fans and everybody wants to be good now uh, and understand that the long-term goals are what really matters. And the sooner they can get back to the NCAA tournament, you know, the happier the fan base will be and the administration and everybody else. I, I did. So does Tim Allen, did he have a year left and go into the portal? Yeah, he does. He, okay. he does have a year left. He, he, I, uh, he took that one-time peak at the NBA that you get. He took that okay. a year ago. Okay. So, so you know, I mean, I, I want to have a conversation with him. Obviously, he, he's, a, he's a leader in that program, and even though the, there'll be changes and things will be done differently, I mean, that's somebody close by, and he may want nothing to do with it, but I know that uh, he had a great relationship with Coach Kostowiak, and so we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I, I think the transfer portal, obviously, is something you look at immediately, but you also look at the long-term needs. He, he understands the, the face of athletics in Utah and uh, outside. He's lived outside the state. I'm not, I can't remember if he was at South Dakota or North Dakota. I think it was South Dakota, South. wasn't it? It was South. Where he came from, yeah. And uh, so he's been around. He, he understands the game. He knows how to develop players and, and, and take teams to the NC2A tournament. The key for him is getting players. And uh, I, I just don't. Sometimes you take take a guy, take an at-risk guy, and and you think you've gone one step forward, but in all, when it's all said and done, you know, come next fall, you maybe take two steps back. So you got to be careful in your recruiting and making sure that you get the kind of person that fits in your program and that wants to be there. Uh, it's not easy, but the portal does make it a lot easier than it was five, ten years ago. So um, just you know, you're constantly. <clears throat> dealing with short-term needs and the fan base, but you got to look at the long-term and know that uh, everyone will be just fine, uh, you know, a year or two from now when they're in the tournament and you do it the right way. So Utah State has an open job now with uh, Craig Smith going to Utah, and Craig Smith worked for Tim Miles twice as an assistant and a third time as a director of operations, and he got promoted to assistant then. So at Mayville State, and then he took a head coaching job in the NIA, got back with him at North Dakota State, took the head coaching job at Mayville State, got back with him at at Colorado State, and they may have been together in Nebraska too. So they've got they've got a long track record together here. I'm assuming he's going to push Tim for the uh, Utah State job because Tim Miles has been out since it, it, it went south at Nebraska. So you know how it tends to work with coaches and their relationships with each other and with ads. Should Aggie fans be looking at Tim Miles and focusing on him? So uh, not having 
any idea what Tim Miles is thinking. Uh, I mean, it, w- would he be a good fit there? Uh, you know, he's he's a really good coach. He, he's got a pedigree. He's got experience. Uh, he's good friends with a guy that just left. So everything he needs to know that, about that program, he's going to have an open book. And so that transition might be pretty smooth. But, I, you know, I have really no idea. I'm sure there are a lot of really, really quality candidates that are going to want to be involved in that job. But if you're asking me if that – that inside track and that previous relationship would benefit, you know, Coach Miles, I would say, yeah, it probably does. Uh, I, I'm assuming, too, that Utah State has to be really grateful for everything that Coach Smith did uh, and uh, you know, continued on, the, you know, the proud tradition at Utah State University. They just had uh, great success there. So I would think that his word would mean something with the athletic director, at least for an interview. But whether or not that, you know, his relationship with Tim Miles uh, gets him, a, you know, gets him a job, I don't know. Because I'm just talking about people I don't have a relationship with, and I don't have an inside scoop. But certainly, the fact that the two of them are so close would seem to me that if that's a job that Tim Miles is interested in, he's probably going to get at least an interview or get an opportunity to talk to the AD. What do you th- What do you think about some of these jobs that? like Utah State, in terms of trying to hire somebody who has a connection and maybe you can hang on to them. Because you look at it, these programs like Utah State, they're bringing these guys from the outside, the athletic director level, and coaching. And it seems like when they have success, they take off. And they brought in Stu Morrill, and he had a he was a Provo kid, and he talked about how his mother lived in state, and he stayed there a long while and had a lot of success. Uh, is it something that maybe you should look at to see if you can maintain it? Because Craig Smith comes in, does a whale of a job, but then is out the door three years later. Although on the flip side, you look at football. Gary Anderson was a Utah guy. He left. And then Matt Wells played at Utah State, and he left. Is it just the lay of the land for schools like Utah State that that's the way it's going yeah, to be? I, I, th- I think the environment's changed. I mean, you know, when you start talking about Stu Morrill, you know, you're talking about one of the greatest coaches that ever coached in the state of Utah. And the fact that he did it consistently the right way for a long time. I think uh, that's not going to be the norm uh, in the world we live in today. Um, there are just opportunities all the time. Coaching changes much more frequent than they used to be. Expectations. Um, I, I just, I just think you know. It, I think mean, I think Coach Smith leaving Utah State to go to Utah, and that was a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a harder job. There's going to be more scrutiny. There, there, you know, the, the magnifying glass is going to be heightened. There, everything you do will be much more visible than it was up in Logan, where there's very little media up there, other than you know the, the, those that follow you and. They had success, and there's been a lot of success there for a long time. So there is expectations in the in the Logan community to have good teams, but I, I think you just have to expect in this world, uh, when it, and whether it's money or exposure or the next step that helps me get somewhere else, it's just the nature of where we're at these days. And uh, you're not going to see guys very often spend 20 or 25 years at a place. Number one. The scrutiny that comes, it's hard to keep a job that long anyway because eventually there's a year or two that uh, you don't have goodwill, and ADs change as well. So there's no guarantees, but I think certainly in today's world, coaches are more likely to take a look at, and you know you can set yourself financially up for life and uh, go to a, a, a P5 conference and have an opportunity to win a national championship. Those are things that 
sometimes you can't do at the med level. And uh, so I, I just don't see that changing. I think that, uh, you know, you look at Stu, you look at Dave. You, Dave was there a long time, eight with me and 14. I mean, those are, I think, more aberrations today than just there's just a lot more turnover for a lot of different reasons. And some of it is money. A lot of it's just an opportunity to coach at a higher level and have a chance to compete for a national championship. You've known PK a long time, and you know how he can turn a phrase and just hit on one or two key words and get a massive reaction. You've seen that firsthand. So are you ready for what he put on our Facebook page? Are you ready for this? You're going to enjoy this. You're already laughing in anticipation. He posts this. Add Doc Rivers, who said the Clippers and Lakers are the teams to beat in the West, to the list of those doubting us. What's with these people? Would you like to take a stab at answering that that loaded that loaded question? You're gonna put the Clippers well, in there. You got to put the Jazz in, don't you? Absolutely. Listen, I I'm uh, you know I started looking. I was just looking at the Jazz, uh, and and I don't get a chance. I'm, I'm most of the Jazz tape I'm watching is from uh, games that have been taped, or you know I'm seeing highlights, and and then there's a, they have a few national games. But I'm just thinking, here, here a team sits at 30, 34-11. I'm looking at this week, they got the Cavs at home. They go to Memphis, which will not be easy. I mean, that Memphis at home is going to be tough. Bulls at home. The Magic at home. I mean, there's a good chance they're going to be 38-11 and 11 and, and, and really put themselves in the driver's seat to win that whole conference. And, and still comments are being made like that. And, and, and I get it that if, you know, you, everybody gets healthy uh, – I, I can see that with L.A. specifically because they did win the championship last year and they are playing without their two best players. But, you know, the guys that have been showing up on the floor, they haven't been great. I mean, you, they've really been exposed. I think getting Drummond is probably a good get. They need somebody at the rim. And But why in the world do we continue to – I mean, I know because of Kawhi and Paul, but all the things that went on last year – and the Clippers have been okay this year. You know, they're not great. But to put them even in the, 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 that same category, maybe because Doc coached there and he knows they're really talented. But uh, it, it's kind of – you just have to kind of look at what's happened. And I know there isn't a lot of faith in this Utah team, but I'm telling you what, it's hard not to look at this thing and go, okay, they're, they're, they may win – you know, they win in 55 to 60 games. They're going to win this thing. They're going to have home court advantage throughout the playoffs. Uh, and, and, and really, the, the Lakers are going to continue to lose more games until they get really healthy. Uh, I, I, I don't get it. And I don't get it either. And it, it just doesn't make any sense. But that's kind of the, the mentality of the big city. And I think Doc being a Clippers fan, maybe he's, setting it. he's trying to set the Clippers up again <laughs> so that they can have another massive failure. But – I do believe the Clippers are better. I think they're in a different place, but uh, I still, I'm still not sold on them being some, you know, at this point in time, the way I've watched them play. And we, I get to see a lot of their games here because it's more local. Uh, I, 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 they're just too up and down still for me. Despite the fact that they've got talent, uh, I, they still play without a point guard, and uh, they don't really have a guy inside that can, can, can really get things done. So, I think it's almost too late to make changes now. I'm not sure that anybody's out there that can really help them. They're, they're going to be who they are. But those are two weaknesses that I think. I think the, the lack of a point guard for the Clippers is, uh, would be the reason that they don't 
finish this thing strong, I think is, is the number one thing that's, uh, that's troubling that team is getting somebody to run that team who can knock a shot down from the perimeter and, uh, and run that show. But I, I don't see that. I don't see that guy showing up. So not, not to say that the Clippers couldn't, couldn't win the thing. They could, but to not include Utah is a huge smack in the face. So as a coach, do you think Quinn Snyder is even bothering with that outside crap and not even worrying about oh, the, what, what this was said, what wasn't said, and all that stuff? Because they got a good thing going on. It seems to me they should just tune that out. Well, he's never going to see. We're never going to hear him say anything publicly, for sure. <laughs> okay, right. Uh, right. Maybe maybe from Donovan or someone else, you know, a, a player. But uh, you'd be crazy. You think those things aren't being talked about? You know, and I mean that is a great motivator, and you don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But I promise you, there have been there have been conversations, I'm sure, on buses and planes, where there, uh, you know, things have been said that it's just an extra motivation. And the fact is, the world is going to need to understand that this is a really, really good team. Offensively, they are just so solid; can beat you so many different ways. Defensively, they're connected. Uh, this is a good basketball team. You, you just, you know, you don't win 55 or 60 games, whatever they're going to end up, and not be a really good team. They're well coached, but I, I, I don't know if it has more to do with the community and it's not a big city. It's not a marquee name. I don't know what the circumstances are. Utah has always kind of lived in the shadows of, of the big city and the big markets, but uh, they, they've got an, a really, really unique opportunity here because every time they win, they get a little bit better. And this is a team that's connected all over the place, on the floor, off the floor, while a lot of teams are still trying to figure out who's going to be healthy and who's going to play. And that's the advantage that they have. I don't see this Utah team from the top to the very bottom overestimating you know, any, any opponent they play, it, taking anybody for granted. This is a mature group of young men and great coaches that uh, understand the game, and um, they're going to, I mean, there is no way they don't win the West. They're going to win the, they're going to win that conference, be in a home court situation, and then they're going to have to play. I mean, that's, that's true. And until you've done it, you're going to always have kind of the wrath of the media and other coaches and other people saying, well, they've, they've got to get it done here. Well, what they are doing right now is really special and they, they're doing what they have to do to win a NBA title. They're going to put themselves in a situation where they've got home court advantage throughout the playoffs. That's going to be an important thing. And I would think by the time we start playing the NBA finals that we'll have even more fans in the, in the, and there'll be a, home, a significant home court advantage. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think those things are still talked about, not publicly, but that, that's a big sign of disrespect. So I am. I, I think you're just 100% on track here, Steve, with Doc Rivers. Who knows what agenda he had lumping the Clippers with the Lakers. Maybe it's to put more pressure on him. Maybe it's because he's got relationships with some people there and he's trying to be nice with them. You know, who knows unless you're Doc's best friend and just the two of you in a room and Doc might wink at you or smile or whatever, you know. But set that aside. You've followed the Lakers for a long time, going back to when you were a fan before you were a coach. And LeBron's trying to do something here, and it's a little different, but he's trying to do something that Michael Jordan and Magic Johnson tried and failed at. Jordan came back from baseball and only played 17 games and got beat in the playoffs. Now, the guy went 25-1 and over a seven-year stretch of his career in postseason series. And the one loss is to Orlando the year he only played 17 regular season games. When you don't play a full season 
it can be a problem even for Michael Jordan. Magic won the NBA title his first and third year in the league, but the second year... He tore up his knee, had arthroscopic surgery on some cartilage issue, and he played 37 games. And he got beat in the first round by Houston when they had those two or three miniseries things. Now LeBron's missing a lot of games in what's already a short season when they already turned over the roster and brought in guys like Schroeder, you know, and, and, and they've got uh, Montrez Harrell. they got some new guys, and they're not getting that many games together. And I think he's played 41, and who knows how many he'll play when he comes back. Maybe he'll get to 50. Maybe he'll get more than that. Is it going to be enough, or is this a serious reason to doubt LeBron, who among all the active players needs to be, you know, there needs to be the least doubt about this guy? But this was a problem for Jordan and Magic. Is it going to be a problem for LeBron? I, I, I think you're on to something there. And, and I've, I've been a, a supporter of LeBron since he's been in the league. And the fact that he went to a, you know, a franchise that where I grew up in and, and followed, and I'm not – uh, a, a huge fan of just one team anymore, but certainly I have Laker blood in me because I that was where I was born and followed, and, and my dad played at USC in baseball. And so, I mean, we're, we're kind of a Southern California family, even though we didn't live there a long time. And so I I think the thing that I'm, that I'm seeing here is that we don't know. They're talking about four to six weeks, which, you know, developing that chemistry, getting back on board. I think the thing that makes, you know, for me, that the two injuries are significant, but bringing Drummond in um, and, and being in the post, I, I, don't, I don't have a I have a problem with that. But all of a sudden, your second leading scorer now is drifting on the perimeter and us in the outside. And I liked it when Davis played in the five. I thought they were better when he played in the five, and and now he could step out and pick and pop and do things. And and it was harder to guard. He always had a five guard him. When he goes out. In the perimeter, if Drummond's inside and he's outside, now now he's taking jump shots and they're contested jump shots. And it's not that he can't do that, but I think for the Lakers to be really good, LeBron has to be healthy and AD has to be able to play significant minutes inside as well as outside. Drummond comes that immediately pushes you know Davis outside where we settle more for jumpers and we settle for threes. He's not as good a rebounder from out there. That that if I'm a Laker fan. That's what kind of makes me nervous. Not to say that Drummond can't help because they do need a presence in there. And, and Gasol and, and uh, Harrell, I mean, well, he's more of a forward anyway, but they've been playing the post. So I think they improved themselves defensively there, but offensively, I don't know if there'll be the chemistry when AD's on the perimeter, Roman the perimeter, all of a sudden something, he's a great rebounder when he's inside there. And, and he's a guy that is going to have a five guard in him rather than maybe a really quick that can get into him and force him to put it on the floor. So I, uh, I, I am. I mean, I'd be concerned that they're going to miss this many games, that they're just going to jump back in and be the same team that they're going to be. Uh, though, as you said, uh, it's hard to doubt LeBron. I mean, he, he's got such a powerful mindset. If anybody could do it, he could. But I think that is a red flag for, uh, for the Lakers. There's no question about it. Steve, as always, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome, guys. Hey, can I make one comment before I finish today? Of course. I, I just wanted to get a little recognition for Coach Simon down at Southern Utah. A good friend of mine, John Wardenberg, works with him. But that's 20 years in, in the waiting for a conference championship. So congratulations to Southern Utah, to Coach Simon, Coach Wardenberg, and all those guys. Thanks for that little shout-out. All right, See there he is. Steve Cleveland. 
He joins us every week right here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Number one. The Zone Sports Network is Utah's number one choice for sports radio in Utah. From DJ and PK to Hanson Scotty and the Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, The Zone continues to dominate the competition. Thank you to all of you that continue to make the Zone Sports Network Utah's highest rated, most listened to sports station. Your home for the best coverage of the teams you're passionate about is right here. 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Feel really good about spring. I thought we took advantage of all the 15 practices and really got uh, a lot of good work in today. Had some really good focus on our stuff yesterday, and then um, I think this was a really good week for us. Uh, looking forward to taking the next step forward and making sure that we keep our, our leadership thriving and, and keep our, our team culture going. So uh, knowing what we have talent-wise on our team currently and then what else we're adding I think is going to be um, really cool to, to get that transition going and having everybody be ready to roll. Kalani Sataki, spring football in the books. Now it's on. There was some recruiting, a little vacation, and then the summer practices will be here soon enough. Do you take anything away from spring football? Do you know anything about the Cougars you didn't know a few weeks ago? Mm, let's see. That I didn't know. That, that's a tough question because we follow these teams so much. Right. And we get so yeah. little access. The access we get now is really the access we have all the time. <laughs> yeah. In the, in, in the before times, we would have had more access, and we might know more because of it. More conversations, have a chance off to the side, that kind of thing. But they, they can't have a bunch of media running around down there, breathing on everybody, and have the whole practice thing shut down because somebody's sick or tested positive. And so that just doesn't happen anymore. I don't know that you'd learn definitive whatever I'm looking for, mm-hmm. conclusions based on spring ball anyway, even in a normal situation. You get ideas. Uh, you have to go when the full team is there. And some of the team with transfers now and kids graduating early, so you're getting more of a read than you used to because obviously there's a ton of transfers that are around the country that come in and and get going on this. And Oregon, in basketball, this is something that different. I mean, they had a kid who graduated high school and joined the team in for the start of the second semester. And you don't, that, that's rare. I'm wondering, you know, how much are we going to see that uh, going forward? So he ends up playing uh, basically the conference season as we know it. And a lot of it, that's really all they had this year. We understand that. But he joined the team in time for the conference season, which starts end of December and January. So that's a new element. And, you know, you wonder if we'll see that more. Uh, So I think you learn more in the training camp than you do in spring ball. And then, of course, you learn more uh, in the games than you do training camp. Uh, So as far as BYU, I think Jaron Hall solidified his spot. And he's going to nail it down, I believe. No coach has told me this. i got to make that abundantly clear that uh, he will solidify it in training camp in August. And then it's up to him if health is obviously an issue with this young fellow because he's had the concussions and going forward. And, you know, I don't know, but I can't speak from a medical standpoint. But, uh, you know, I've heard if you have some, then you're prone to have more, whatever it might be. So... 
whoever, if it's Baylor Romney, who's number two, whoever that might be, if it's Conover or Soljay's number two, uh, keep your head up, man, because you could have a chance to play for sure. A hundred percent. I think you got to underline that. PK, watching the Utes and Cougars this last decade, it's the rarity when they have a quarterback make it through an entire season, and it's happened. But it's still the rarity when it does. You're you're as likely to play your third string quarterback meaningful snaps, give them starts as you are to have the first stringer get through the whole season. Yeah. Uh, so, I think Hall is going to be their guy, and uh, get after it, man. I'm excited for them because I think their program is in a much better spot than it was three, four years ago. And so I think that's important uh, as far as trying to have success. You know, I don't know that they're going to recreate an 11-1 and one, uh, in this situation. Now, Zach could come back, maybe. Yeah. But, but he's not. not. After he, <laughs> yeah. he had the greatest pro day in the history of pro days. And the sooner you acknowledge that, the better off you'll be. <laughs> you know, I think that uh, I, I think that BYU's in a much better place than they were even two years ago. You think about it. They put oh, yeah, Baylor yeah. Romney in for three starts two years ago, and they and they were a mediocre team. But he went three and zero, and he beat Boise State. Now that doesn't you know I don't want to oversell him and turn him into you know John Elway or Tom Brady here. But that's that's great. He came in with no experience. He went three and zero. He beat a Boise State team that went twelve and two that year, lost the bowl game and that BYU game, and that's it. If you beat him out, and presumably he's two years older, he's He's at least a little better now, right? He's backed up Zach. He's, he's been through more film sessions and all that stuff. He should have progressed. If you beat him out, then you're a pretty good quarterback. I mean, if, he's, I if that's the baseline, yeah. you know, if he, if he gets beat out by, by Hall, well, I don't know if he gets beat out at Conover, whoever, if he gets beat out, you had to be better than that. So that ought to encourage Cougar fans. And then have some depth at quarterback, too. That, that, that's a huge positive. I can buy that assessment. And then the pro day thing, man, I think that they are just doing, and I don't know if it's Kalani or the people around Kalani, if it's Tom Homo, if it's his staff, but I just thought the whole thing, you know, it, it, it just happens that the Jets have the second pick, and you're going to be on ESPN, and you got a chance to milk it. And I thought they milked it. Sell yourself, use the free media as much as possible. And I thought they did. I thought when they took those shots and, you know, they have a, they kind of have a portable bleacher set up like you'd see at a high school baseball or something like that. And there are all those players sitting in it. And those guys are, you know, now you can tell those guys, man, if you work, that, if you work hard, that could be you out there. Look at all those NFL people looking at him. And it's on TV, and I have no doubt they're telling 16- and 17-year-olds, come here, that could be you. Just keep selling it. Man, they got... They got a few breaks, right? If it had been uh, Jacksonville with the two-pick, I don't know that ESPN would have played it up like that. But it's the Jets with a two-pick, and Zach can be the two-pick. So ESPN played it up like that, and I thought they milked it for all it was worth. Good work. And then they had, he had the greatest play in practice history. <laughs> Roll left, throw right across your body, 50 yards downfield to the middle of the field. It would be hard enough to make that throw to the sideline. He made it back to the middle of the field. Freakish. That was awesome. The throw. It's simply known as the throw. It is the stuff of legend. It's the best play ever in the history of football that didn't count. <laughs> Stockton has the shot. And now Wilson has the throw.
the throw. I'm flicking around on uh, NBC Sports this morning, and Phil Sims and some other guy, not Phil Sims, his son Chris Sims, and Chris Sims just loves the kid, just loves him, think they should take him ahead of uh, Trevor Lawrence. And uh, they must have shown the throw seven times. <laughs> it's, it is so phenomenal. And I think that it's not just the uh, certainly the Jets and all, but I think that we as a fan base are just, and I speak generally across the country, are just so in love with football. And that and anything happens in the NFL draft is just gigantic. My favorite draft is the NBA draft, but the NFL draft just, just gets so much attention and these mock drafts and all this stuff. And here this kid is at the top of it because it's, it's really interesting in that uh, he's the best player who doesn't know for sure where he's going. You know what I mean by that? Because it seems like, uh, and they were talking about this, I was list, uh, had it on closed caption so I could listen or read their words, that er- Urban Meyer was on. They had him on with King, and I think that it, w- it was a replay of something, and he's talking about how, yeah, they're very much leaning in the strong direction of drafting uh, Lawrence. So that goes down to number two. Are the Jets really going to take him? Do we know that for sure? Now, we don't know for sure Jacksonville's going to take Lawrence, yeah. but it seems like that's a pretty good conclusion to make. So are the Jets really going to do that? Do we know that for sure? And can the uh, Niners move up and all that stuff? I, I would love, if I were him, for me, I would, if I'm a West, Western region guy, I would love to go to the Niners. Uh, that would be fun. Oh. But at the same time, Zach Wilson is going to embrace New York if he should go there. The Niners did trade up to the number three slot in the draft. They made a deal with Miami, and the Niners gave up their first-round pick this year, first and third next year, and a first-round pick the year after that. There's somebody they want, and they want them real bad. But if you look at the mock drafts now, it's pretty much unanimous, PK. Everybody's got Zach going to the Jets with a two-pick. There's no... There's no wiggle room, and I know Ute fans were going nuts when, when we were talking about, hey, the mock drafts are saying he's top 10. No way! Top 10. I mean, he's two. ESPN, two. Fox, two. NFL.com, two. Pro Football uh, Focus, two. Pro Football Weekly, two. I mean, it's just right down the list. That doesn't mean he's going to the Jets, though. There's still a month to go. There's absolutely. They could trade, and yeah, you're right. But that's where it sits right now. The Jazz right now sit in the top spot in the Western Conference, three games in front of the Suns, four up on the Clippers, and the Jazz have won five straight games now. We just had Steve Cleveland on. He was talking about the possibility of sweeping this week. Cleveland, Chicago, Orlando at home, that does not look very difficult. Clearly, the uh, on paper, the most difficult game this week is at Memphis on Wednesday, trying to beat them a third time in a week. But, man, they, they made the second Memphis game look a lot easier than they made the first one. They had a big lead in the first one. They were making it look easy, and then the 21-point lead went down to three. And I was skeptical, and I thought the Jazz were susceptible to a loss on Saturday, but obviously that did not happen. Uh, Conley's out again. How many games has he missed? Because I believe they're undefeated. No, they lost missed. one now without him, I think. I, I think he's uh, – I, I want to say he's missed eight, but he might have missed nine. I can check that for you. And they lost the game without him? Okay. Uh, they finally did lose a game without him, yeah. Uh, but I thought that under the he circumstances, sat the Wizards back to game. back, blah, blah, blah. Okay. 
and that they would be susceptible. Uh, but, man, they weren't. It was, it was very much a dominant performance. And, my, does, have you seen a smoother-looking player in jazz history than Donovan Mitchell? I mean, he just looks so smooth and graceful. Uh, it reminds me of the picture-perfect golf swing. That when you see, I remember the first time I saw Michelle Wee play, and I saw that swing, and she's a six-foot-tall uh, young gal, obviously, and, and I just thought that, I saw that swing, and I thought, wow, that swing looks absolutely beautiful. Everything is in sync the way it's supposed to be. And when I see Donovan Mitchell eye a shot and then sort of step into it, he just looks so smooth and graceful. It really is. like It's like a textbook. And it's soft on the rim. And a lot of times it's a swish. It doesn't even hit the rim. But he, he took the world by storm and the world being the NBA. But he's even way better. Oh, no question. Do you remember a couple years ago when I was saying in the offseason, the question now is, can he add the step-back jumper? You know, Harden's got it, and they can't compete with him, and your best player has to do what their best player can do, or you're going to be in trouble in the playoff series. And in the first quarter when he had his, uh, I think he went for 16 Saturday night in the first quarter. And, you know, he does look smooth. You're right, dribbling into a three, and, and then he, he kind of hesitates. The guy thinks he's going to shoot another three, and he blows by him for a layup. But he got isolated and went between the legs into the step-back three, and he was on balance in rhythm, like you said, so smooth. And the shot, you know, if you do all that and then you just throw the shot off the off the backboard yeah. or clank yeah, it off right. the rim, well, okay, you look smooth, but that that was a heck of a brick you threw up there. But he yeah. didn't. It was a rainbow and it just swish and he's backpedaling and, and they just he's got some teammates probably saying something to him because he's looking over to his left. It's probably Joe. It was Joe. Of course it would be Joe, right? And he's got this little grin on his face, but then he wipes it off because you're not supposed to be all that happy, but somebody said something funny to him. So Yeah, but I think that grin is, is a uh, outward sign of uh, beyond, it's cocky now. And the cockier yeah. my guys are, the better. Absolutely. You're going to need that to get to the yeah. highest level. Yeah. You're not showing up anybody. He's not doing that. But you, you've got to have uh, – because I think supreme confidence, had, it transfers over into cockiness. And maybe I'm drawing a fine line here, but I think the true uh, great ones, they have that complete and total. It's beyond confidence because a lot of players have confidence and they should have confidence. They're playing the highest league in the world. Uh, George Niang – if his feet are set in the corner up top, wherever on the side, uh, he's got a lot of confidence that it's going in. For sure, it's going in. He's got a lot of confidence in that. But I don't think that he's earned the right to have cockiness. And I think Donovan Mitchell is approaching that level to where it doesn't really matter what you do. I'm better than you. And that, boy, that's awesome. You've got to have that. To be, to be the last man, last team standing, you absolutely have to have that. Does Paul George have that? I don't think so. So will they have that against better competition? Because the Grizzlies' ballpark, let's see how it shakes out, but the Grizzlies' ballpark are an eight seed. So to Donovan's point, which he made, hey, we're done losing in the first round, okay, be way better than that team and get out of that round, and that'll be great, and you need that, but there'll still be three rounds to go, and I think we can all look at the teams that are left and think, you're not going to backdoor the second round. If you're the one seed, you might backdoor the first round and get a gimme. 
But by the time you get to the second round, it'll be on. The 4-5 series right now, I think, would be the Nuggets and the Lakers. And you'd get the winner. So, good luck with that. It's on. And they'll get you. Good luck with that. Yeah! All right, DJ and PK, your feedback coming up next. Stay with us. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. PK, the Facebook uh, listeners were just, uh, bleh, meh, kind of just, eh, sell me, don't tell me on Craig Smith. Now the Twitter reaction, and maybe some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of uh, backlash. Uh, Salt Lake Jake says, I love it. The man wins everywhere he's been. I like his energy and his results. Okay, yeah. Hard to argue that one. Uh, then you got uh, Craig Smith. Uh, you fans, you like the Craig Smith hire. And Beards and Beers says, ask Timmy Allen. <laughs> Wait to see if Timmy decides not to go in the portal and come back and join the team. Is that it? That We're going to pass judgment? Mm, that's going to be you know, it? That's not really a fair assessment of Craig Smith. The status of Allen. Snazzy Coog says, wait, are Utah and Utah State joining forces? No, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, see, I, I thought some BYU fans would have fun with that. Like, you're not supposed to go from Utah State to Utah. It's supposed to be the other way around. Brian says, is it fair to say that you think Utah will schedule USU home and home in the future? Because that's what Craig Smith advocated when he was in Logan. Well, he wouldn't be well, the first sure. coach to change his mind with his well, shoe on the other foot. And, but and you, Utah fans, they don't get respect. We don't get respect. We should be allowed to play these guys. And then they get in the Pac-12. Well, we're not going to play those guys. I know. Forget right? that. I know. They're afraid <laughs> of us. Cancel the Boise State series. We're not playing yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, it, But I would think if you're going to get it, this would be your best chance. You know, I mean, Craig's got a tie to the AD at Utah State, so maybe that smooths it over. But – if Tim Miles gets the job, then does he want to play a good friend of his? Maybe Why are you he does. So high on Tim Miles. What has he done? <laughs> he, yeah, he did well at CSU, and then he didn't do well at Nebraska. I mean, but you act like he's the odds-on favorite. Uh, I don't know that he's the odds-on favorite, but I was well, you told. Brought him up I was, to Steve Cleveland. Now you just brought him up again. I was told to keep my eye on him, but that doesn't make him the odds-on favorite. You were told to keep your eye on him. Yes. You were told uh, you were told that Caleb Rep was going to be an NFL receiver. I was. You and were told that who's that running back? Yak at BYU. Uh, Tolatow. Ula Tolatow. <laughs> yeah. And then he had a frisbee full of uh, certain substance that ended his a frisbee. Real quick. Yeah, he was wow, carrying he was a frisbee. Fly- flying high. Heyo. <laughs> yep. Maybe it would be Tim Wiles. I'm not discounting Tim Miles, but. See, you didn't say that. That's what I was wondering. Now you just told me that you were told to keep your eye on him. That's what I was after. You brought him up twice, but you hadn't referenced as to why. Now you told me. Now I understand why you brought it up twice. Yep. There you go. Okay. But, you know, could he have something else cooking, and could the AD like somebody else uh, more? Sure. Uh, But Craig and Tim are tight going way back, and and Craig – well, have some say that doesn't mean that he gets to pick the next head coach, but I think you know he had a good run. I, I think the most important thing is that if he worked for Tim three different times or four different times, which he did, then they partly share a basketball brain. And Craig's basketball brain just worked really well in Logan. So why not get someone who thinks like him? They wouldn't work together all those times if they didn't. Well, think uh, yeah, and he inherited Sam Merrill. 
Absolutely. Let's, let's right? not forget that. He didn't recruit Sam Merrill. If you want to be a winning coach at Utah State in the Mountain West Conference, have two NBA players on your roster because that makes life a lot better. And, yeah, he, and I think he inherited is Sam. one of those dudes. And, uh, but you got to say, with the transfer portal the way it is, inheriting a player doesn't necessarily mean what it used to either. you got to re-recruit them and keep them because they're all taken off. So he re-recruited them and he kept them. Oh, and, Sam and then he got was a Utah State guy from birth. Yeah, he was. But it doesn't mean he can't take off if he's soured on the new coach. But you're right, he's less likely to. Because and his he, wife he's an Aggie was there. Play, didn't his wife play soccer okay. up there? I'd have to check if that's true. I, th- I think that's the story. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm not discounting what Craig Smith did because he went three for three in NCAA tournaments. But let's acknowledge that there was other guys who brought Stan Merrill to the to the program, not him. All right, DJ and PK, we're out of time. Hans and Scott here next. We'll see you.